0: It's a five-star podcast,
1: because we do it. What's, real?
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 87. Uh, I'll call this one the J, the WrestleMania III, uh titled podcast, if you get what I'm going for there, uh, of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, my cohort, co-conspirator, and my fellow tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J?
1: I'm as pumped as blood pouring out of an artery of a Michael Myers victim. Hey, you in the countdown to October here on the What's Real podcast. And to counter your WrestleMania 87 number correlation, I'm going to throw at you, Sid the Kid. A Sydney Cos- The Sydney Crosby episode here on 87. But yeah, as you can tell, and I'm already stuttering, I'm ready to go, man, because there's just so much this week. We always have a lot hey, out, but this week is epic.
0: Yeah, this is kind of going to be crazy, and it's just uh, because of how things like this work out. But of course, this week, we're going to be covering uh, the NFL in great detail. We're going to be going over our predictions from last week, Uh, We're going to take a look at our most recent weekend in fantasy football. Uh, We are going to be breaking down the Steelers versus Raiders. And I'm sure if you listen to my tone there, you probably know where that's going. Of course, we're going to have power rankings after week two and week three predictions. And that's not all because the world of wrestling has been going completely bonkers for the last week. And I'm talking about dark side of the ring making its triumphant return uh and some interesting news that i'll bring up during that segment something that really surprised me about the episode that has nothing to do with the content in the episode but uh, i'm talking of course the plane ride from hell uh the fallout from that episode uh of course i'm talking about rick flair uh, if you guys know what i'm talking about or if you've paid attention to the show at all or look online you know what i'm talking about of course that uh, brings in tommy dreamer as well And a little bit of insight here, because if you guys are listening to our show, uh, we thank you, but you're in for a treat this week because me and the Jay are fairly knowledgeable about the plane ride from hell situation. I dug deep here in the archives, picked out some stuff, uh, and we are going to talk about everything in great detail. So stay tuned for that. And that is not it. Uh, The... Ah, uh, hiatus is coming, of course, for Halloween, and I'm talking about Thursday Night Prime, and we have our uh, potential. We'll see how it goes. Potential season finale of thursday night prime we may bring him back here and there spartanly throughout the rest of the year but it seems like that just doesn't happen (laughs) usually the jay you know how we we talk about this but of course thursday night prime i'm talking best of the best from 1989 and of course we're gonna do a little bit special bonus coverage of professional wrestling here in a moment we're gonna give you guys an extreme Rules pay-per-view i'm talking about uh the wwe's recent pay-per-view coming up here extreme rules we're gonna have a full preview of that and a full preview of a huge week in aew coming up this week with dynamite and rampage grand slam which is basically pay-per-view quality so we're going to get into all that and much much more but as usual it seems here on the show we are going to start this week with another rest in peace this time to comedian aj johnson uh which of course people remember probably most fondly from uh friday uh, the film Friday with Ice Cube, uh, and he played Izell uh, or Ez. I forget the fucking name, but it's something like that. And it's like the annoying crackhead, and he's pretty fucking funny in that movie. And he uh, he passed away at age fifty five, so that that's pretty terrible as well.
1: Yeah, Azell. Hey, you know, Ezal. And uh, yeah, because I, I saw the thing from uh, the the Twitter page of Ice Cube. You know his tweet of course saying sad to wake up to the news about aj johnson passing away naturally funny dude who was straight out of compton at the same time and he went on to say sorry i couldn't bring your character azelle back to the big screen in last friday because i'm sure that was possibly uh some something he was working on you know ice cube just kind of ending the uh friday franchise the the right way but it just probably never got greenlit for you know that goes in hollywood varying reasons uh, as I always say, as an independent film guy, Ice Cube can't get fucking budgets for a franchise that's established like Friday to do Last Friday. <laughs> so it, it shows you the cutthroatness of of that freaking business. But but yeah, another another sad shout out. It seems like every week we we have a new you know celebrity or a known person passing away, and 2021 just continues that trend, unfortunately. But Anthony Johnson was a hilarious dude. Um, we always loved those uh, house party movies because they, they just came in at, a, at a time that, that, that like fit uh, you and I's buddies and, and our sense of humor and comedy and kid and play and everything. Uh, and and that, whole, that was a whole trilogy, wasn't it? House party. Um, yeah,
0: they might even have made a fourth one, but I don't believe that one has kid and play in it or something. Right. You know how they do that yeah, kind of just,
1: thing. Yeah, again, going back to Hollywood, squeezing out whatever they can. But yeah, to Anthony Johnson, for sure, dude. He was hilarious in Friday, and that's a freaking classic, so. Rest in peace, Anthony Johnson from the J.
0: And moving along on a more positive side, well, I don't know how positive this is, but it's it's a lot more positive than somebody passing away. Uh, recently, John Cena made his return for SummerSlam, uh, which we talked about here in great detail on the show. Um, but they, they started doing new merchandise, and a lot of it was themed around Super Mario 3. Uh, which was kind of done up in the Cena motif, like a lot of the old Super Mario 3 artwork was done up originally. And uh, they did this package. They, man, this was like commercial after commercial around this time uh, for an NFT package uh, with a bunch of John Cena merchandise. And it essentially sold for $1,000. And in a recent appearance at Supercon in Florida, uh, Cena revealed that only 37 of them were sold. Uh, He explained WWE came up with the price point and didn't hesitate in calling the idea a failure he intends to learn from. He said, quote, WWE wanted to put together a once in a lifetime fan experience. Uh, This kit is not just this kit, it's the belt, the clothing, an autographed picture, an autographed canvas picture, and an NFT. When it came with the face value for what it cost, it came up around five to $600 retail value and then threw in the value of the NFT. Um, he said, I talk a lot about failure. This idea failed. Why is it $1,000? Because myself and the folks at WWE thought $1,000 was a fair price point. We were wrong. We were absolutely wrong. Uh, the shirt number is zero of 500. I thought with a value like that, the 500 will be gone. We sold 37 of them and it was a catastrophic failure. Uh, I design all my stuff. I was super proud of this. I love the design. It's one of those instances where I put my heart and soul and and did the design. It was really close to the work and the pieces and the market research. Yes, it seems fair. I think it would be good. It sucked. It absolutely failed. I took a chance and it missed. I'm sorry because it's obvious that people like the design, but it's way too much.
1: First and, and uh, foremost, hey, uh, it's good, good for John Cena to be so honest about this at least.
0: He does strike me as that kind of guy in general. Like, I mean, he's knocking it out the park, doing a bunch of other stuff anyway. So even if his wrestling return was a failure, which it wasn't, um, I don't think it would really matter a whole lot. But uh, I thought this was goofy to begin with. We've talked a little bit here on the show about NFTs recently. And that's just, I'm not going to lie. That's just a thing that I don't like. I understand what it is, but I don't get it, if that makes sense. So whatever. But I just thought it was interesting, kind of, a you know, like we did this. They did a big marketing blitz for it, too, and they only sold 37 of them. That's crazy to think about. They ran that ad on their TV shows how many times and only 37 people like went for
1: it. (laughs) Very, very surprising for John Cena and WWE collab stuff, no matter what. Uh, they usually pull things off at the end of the day, whatever it is, especially with John Cena being off of WWE TV and programming for so long and this being a comeback and correlating with that. And I'll throw it at you, Hayo, and I know you're kind of mentioning all this. And of course I have Wikipedia so that Jay's old ass can look things up. Uh, and I know it's a non-fungible token. It's yep. a unit of data stored on a digital ledger called a blockchain. It certifies a digital asset to be unique and therefore not interchangeable they can be used to represent items such as photos, videos, audio, and other types of digital files. Uh, it's a digital asset that represents real-world objects like art, music, in-game items, and videos. Reading all that, I still don't really fully understand this. Hey, huh? yeah, am I too old at 41 to just grasp this? Maybe. Well,
0: I, no. I mean, it's just it's it's like anything else. Like you know how music went from being on like a record or a CD to being digital. It's right. the, Everything it's,
1: just gets converted to digital.
0: It's the same thing with that, except for like, like the one that I like, somebody explained to me that I thought made the most sense was like, say like a photo. And I'm talking about like, uh, for example, let's say Daniel Bryan, when he won the title at WrestleMania 30, like, and you know, like him with the confetti coming down or something like you buy that in NFT form, which means that then you digitally own it. So
1: like Guess, if, Yeah, like going in a movie. Yes, original. But yeah, it's, yes,
0: but it's yours, and there's only one of them. So, you know, like it is, and they're, they're expected to go up in value, but that to me is the reason why people are buying them, but it's also the reason why I will never buy one of them because I just see, I'm, I don't believe that this is going to be a thing where they're worth money down the line. I just don't. I don't believe this is going to hold water.
1: I think we mentioned this somewhat. I don't know if it was specifically the NFT thing. It was uh regarding the baseball card talk we've done, you know, especially with the tops news and, and them losing the MLB license and that. Uh within that conversation, we might have talked about how there's some of these digital cards now that are gaining popularity. Yeah. So I guess that correlates. Yeah, it's also it's all kind of in the same thing.
0: Like right. the the bottom line is right now collectibles in general are really hot like baseball cards action figures thing you know like typical collectibles that we've always kind of had but like they're super hot now a lot of things are carrying a lot of value so i think companies are trying to come up with stuff that are like it's like an additional collectible it would be like if somebody created beanie babies tomorrow but in digital form or something like that you know what i mean it's just it's one of those things that they're trying to push that I don't necessarily believe is going to hold water. Like a lot of the, like, I think action figures still have an audience. I think cards will have an audience. These things kind of feel fatty to me. And I don't know if they're going to go away or if they're going to go up in value. I just don't believe in them.
1: I'm with you. It's a wait and see thing. Almost in finance with Bitcoin and Dogecoin and things like that. And I know it's, you know, hut properties now, but yeah, what's going to last and what's not. But that's that's the whole thing because hindsight is what it is down the road. But right now, presently, you know, you got to make the calls on what might be a success as opposed to a failure. But going back to this specific story, uh, again, I just rounded it out by saying, you know, kudos to Cena uh, to call call out a merch idea of failure, you know? And, and, and I just, I think that's a, a breath of fresh air just because too many people in the public eye and on that level aren't like that no matter what. Or they'll beat around the bush and, and just with weird rhetoric, you know, just corporate rhetoric or whatever to kind of just say, yeah, well, you know, it's 37 wasn't bad. Like, we, you know, like some, some like back ass way to b- backtrack the fact that it was a failure. Cena just straight up says, like, you know, this didn't work. And for me, that just seemed like a breath of fresh air just because I'm not used to it, I guess. And, and all in all, it was all to, back to your point where if you're Cena, like, who even cares? Like, if you're, 50 and one of your last public ventures between your film projects. And he has the HBO max show coming out and, you know, the brief comeback yeah. over the summer with wrestling. It's like, it should be easy to just say, yeah, this, this one didn't work. You know, cause every, everything I'm also else I'm doing is turning into gold. Well, dude, how about this? Uh, anybody out there listening to this,
0: think about a failure in your own life, right? And how bad it might be. And then think that John Cena's big failure was basically making $37,000 off the stupidest shit imaginable. And, <laughs> exactly. and he's like, yeah, this is really disappointing. Like that shit would change most people's lives to the ninth degree that like we know, you know, or even us, you know what I'm saying? Like if I just got $37,000 out of the blue for something I did, I would be it, it, pretty thrilled about it. But here we go with Cena, and that's a failure. So this is the world that we're living in here, guys. So, <laughs> Yep. Uh, next up here, something that I, I, just a tidbit that I thought was funny. And of course, this is from the sports truth dot or the sports rush.com. Uh, it, and this is a clickbaity title. Uh, Kobe Bryant used to listen to a serial killer for his pregame ritual, but really he just listened to the Halloween theme song, uh, which I thought was kind of funny and it gives you a little bit of insight. Uh, into the mind of Kobe Bryant. And it's also topical because we're about to move our ass right into the holiday season uh, of Halloween, the Jay.
1: It's cool too. Cause I mean, I always felt like as the Jay's description is on, those that listen to the show know a pump up thing. It, it was always a pump up song. And, you know, John Carpenter's the man, uh, a freaking classic. And the Jay has had various versions of the Halloween uh, theme on my playlist. And of well, course there's dude- a ringtone and stuff. I mean, it's a classic. I, I can see that.
0: Now, I don't know how you do this. This is the closest. I'm not going to act like I'm Kobe Bryant here. Uh, But like, you know, you get like a workout playlist or one for when you go running or something. Dude, it's, I don't know if you're like me and if you have like a big ass one and you just kind of like sort through it accordingly while you're actually working out. But it's weird, the stuff that finds its way on there because it's not like, I don't know if you're like this or not, but like it's mine isn't like 55 songs of just like fucking aggressive metal. Like, I find weird inspiration in a lot of things. So, my fucking workout playlist, like, there's some metal, there's some rock, there's some hip hop shit, but there's also like real American from Hulk Hogan. Just like shit.
1: That- oh, dude, I, I'm right with you. You know that. You know, you know what a big one for me was, was, uh, Tina Turner, simply the best, man. I got some Tina Turner yeah, on there. Yeah, you the got. Best. Yeah,
0: you get it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, there's just certain things. Like, there, uh, there's wrestling theme songs. There's fucking like, dude. I have shit from the Rocky soundtrack on mine, and like, I just have like a giant. Like, I have like a five hour playlist that I just skip. According like whatever I'm doing, I'm like yeah I don't want to listen that. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, it, it, it's easy to do, but like yeah, you got to have a big variation of stuff because it, you know if you're like most people, you probably pull inspiration from like I know dudes that like listen to shit from Star Wars and stuff on there. Oh I like, have yep. It's, so it's like it just depends on what your mood is and what like and plus you know what you're doing. Cause you know you're gonna have a different mindset if your goal is to fucking deadlift 500 pounds a bunch of times as opposed to like somebody on a goddamn exercise bike, you know. So it's different, and that's why you need that kind of stuff when you work out. So it's not surprising to me that Kobe Bryant would have something like this on a playlist or something that got him motivated for games.
1: Let's let's hear from the man himself. Hey, no, out of all due respect, I am not gonna do a. Kobe impression here, but he said regarding uh, listening to this for his pregame ritual, it's like an actor getting ready for a film. You got to put yourself in the cage. When you're in the cage, you're that character. When you leave there, it's something completely different. But, I'm when, when, but when I'm in that cage, bro, don't fucking touch me. Don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. There used to be certain games, like certain key games. I don't think I've ever said this before. This kind of makes me seem very psychotic, but whatever. I used to play the Halloween theme song over and over in my headphones. It was important. It was Michael Myers because the mask itself was void of emotion. And it goes and, on a bit, but that's pretty sick.
0: <laughs> well, dude, and a lot of times with stuff like that, it's really just something that helps for me anyway like sharpen my focus. Like it's not necessarily like some of its motivation and stuff, but sometimes it's easier to concentrate on what you're listening to musically than it is to concentrate on your workout. Because like, you know how it is, like if you if you're running five miles and you just get started, maybe you're tired, maybe you had a long day, you're you're not necessarily wanting to like be like, oh, man, I got five more miles of this. So, like, the music kind of gets you out of that and helps you focus on what just, like, literally putting one leg in front of the other or whatever. Like, that's why people use it, or at least that's why I use it sometimes, too, because, like, it'll help you get through a workout where you'd rather be taking a fucking nap.
1: Oh, for sure, dude. I'm I'm so there. I mean, there's, there's times like I can pull it off, of course, being a lifelong gym rat, but there's times where I'll show up to the gym. It hasn't happened forever. Cause you know, me, you know, a creature of habit, but I realize I forgot my headphones or like my headphones are acting up and I don't have a backup and I'll, I'll go home. I'll be like, I'm coming back tomorrow and going twice as hard, but I can't, I can't do yeah. it without music this time, you know? So, but yeah, as far as this story goes at, at the end of this reference article is always the shout outs, the sports, SportsRush.com. They, 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 it by saying simply put mr kobe bean bryant used to literally project himself to be a serial killer prior to the game need we say more <laughs> and that's yeah. our man kobe man that's why he's one of our favorites of all time
0: absolutely so let's get into what the people came for i like to say the J. this week we are going to take a look at wwe's extreme rules pay-per-view live sunday september 26th from columbus ohio at the nationwide arena um and here is the lineup now i don't know if this is the finalized lineup this is just as we record the show on a tuesday this is what has been announced and this is what we have in front of us so we'll take a look uh we'll report it to you and then we'll give some uh some some predictions as well uh first up i actually saw that they made this when i was watching smackdown last week and i kind of groaned at it but we're getting live morgan versus carmella i bet you you're thrilled about that one the jay can't wait Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> so moving along, uh, we are getting the Usos versus the Street Profits for the WWE Tag Team Championship. Um, I think that'll at least be interesting too. Um, I don't know if they're gonna make a change because oddly enough, they had Big E and Finn Balor beat the Usos last week on on SmackDown. So they kind of implied that they were also in contention. Um, so maybe we'll see them added to this match. I don't know, but regardless. Uh, I think this match here, I mean, they've fought before, but like both of these teams are pretty solid. So it should be a lot of fun, especially if there's only six matches on the entire card, they're going to get time and that'll be cool.
1: I noticed that. Yeah, that's, that's either a good or a bad thing. We'll, we'll see, but hopefully it's a good thing for things to get time. Cause that. I- is always a, a possible issue with WWE shows is what they give time and don't. I say that ad nauseum, but yeah, this, this is a repeat matchup, but nonetheless, I I'll take it. I, I definitely don't mind seeing two super athletic teams like these guys. Uh, you know, Angelo Dawkins is solid, but they, dude, I, I love Montez Ford. My son is really huge good on him. Cause just how good of an athlete he is, dude. We were, we were joking before. Cause of course his wife is Bianca Belair. Damn man. They could probably make, the most athletic the, child of yeah, all time. The, yeah. And it just I was gonna say that the act of making that child too, like those two going at it, it's like and, goddamn. And dude,
0: I don't know if you get this vibe or not, but I definitely think Montez Ford gives off that vibe. Like eventually he's gonna break out from the tag team oh, and for go on sure. his own and probably do something at least fairly memorable.
1: I would assume so. Yeah, but but yeah, this is a solid match on the card, it should be a good tag team championship match.
0: Uh, This one, I don't get at
1: all. Uh,
0: This is just their way of being like, we're doing this now. And I'm talking about the WWE United States Championship match, which is now a triple threat with Damian Priest defending against Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. Uh, Not saying it was bad, but man, we've seen Hardy and Sheamus have a feud for like a long time, just like last year uh so whatever and you know me and you both talk about this all the time the jay we've triple talked about threat. it for years yeah the triple threat matches are just something i don't really care about even when they're good it just kind of starts off in a bad spot for me yeah,
1: and i'll admit you know I, I am not your ignorant fan of course hate you up, but i i still like kind of pique my eyebrow up a bit when Jeff Hardy was added. Cause he was just making some news within professional wrestling media and news about how he was in the 24 seven title picture just recently. And like how AEW has been treating talent and giving fans what they want. And, and that was like a comparison for how WWE is treating Jeff Hardy. He's like a prime example of like the counter to that. And, and he's in the 24 seven title picture program. And you know, he's still like a legend still going. And you have him there. So all of a sudden he's in the U S championship picture, which that's not the main event picture by any means, but it's still a, a click above the 24 seven title stuff. So not I don't enough. know if that had anything to do with it or what. I mean, who cares? I just thought that was a bullet point to mention, but uh, with the match at hand, uh, this could be entertaining and solid, but as you said, Hey, uh, triple threats can kind of be wonky and that's why we're not as big on them so uh, hopefully it's not a wonky version though hopefully these dudes just go at it and it turns out to be a good match
0: next up I'm talking about a matchup that like two years ago I probably would have been stoked for but I honestly don't even this is like a go get something to eat match to me uh and i'm talking about the wwe raw women's championship matchup with charlotte flair defending against alexa bliss i just don't like anything about this feud and i was reading something where uh there was a report where somewhere in the neighborhood of like 1500 people basically got up and left uh during the show when this was going on and they never returned like it was like 10 o'clock and like people just decided like fuck this like we're just going home
1: so, I'm glad you brought that up because I noticed on Twitter uh, pretty recently, a few hours ago, as we record, hey, you know, that Meltzer of all goose was actually yeah. trending, like top tier trending. Yep. So, as always, I'm like, you know, what, what's the deal with this? And, and this exact situation was why he was trending. And because uh, Lexi Kaufman, who is, of course, Alexa Bliss, real name Lexi Kaufman, said, sorry, Meltzer, or whatever. You can't get clout off of our segment. Move on. And then, of course, hashtag stop lying literally didn't happen. You're embarrassing yourself because ringside news uh, said fans in attendance at Raw, like the actual fans, squashed the report of a mass exit during the segment. So but either way, I would have probably left to, to go pee or something personally. So I can see both sides to this story from the Jays perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'm not
0: making up rumors or anything i'm just giving you my opinion from what i've seen of this and this shit is garbage this is the stupidest most wasteful shit for both of them to be doing they're both supremely talented but you know they're just they're so beyond just doing goofy shit that they think people find entertaining and i don't know anybody that's like no but this is really entertaining like now you have a you have children right like does your kid find this entertaining or is it more just like confusing and stupid or what
1: confusing he doesn't he honestly just doesn't even pay attention to this kind of stuff
0: yeah probably because your son i get the vibe that like he actually enjoys wrestling so like whenever it doesn't really pertain to like people getting involved in a match or wrestling like and it's just like oddball
1: weird shit he just doesn't care yeah cuz I mean he did like the the funhouse stuff when they were doing that with Bray Wyatt of course and the fiend and everything as a kid. And I think that was house. done
0: and I wasn't a huge fan of that but I think that was done significantly And, and you could see how that this yeah
1: you could see how that would be attractive to the kids in that whole thing of course I and mean, that's why they did it like that with the puppets and everything. And that and I think that's the biggest problem right now with Alexa Bliss's character we mentioned she's like in this weird limbo uh due to what was kind of a sudden exit from Bray Wyatt, who she was, of course, paired with and and was kind of helping her get over. Of course, just being part of that whole, you know, that whole angle. And then once he left, she's in this weird kind of thing. But they kept it going, so now it's a situation where this isn't like a serious match kind of matchup, and it's for the biggest women's title in WWE right now. I would say the Raj championship, although you know that could be argued with Bianca and Becky being involved in, in a match. Where, where take a a look at down the line here however that's that's the issue at hand hey it's just Alexa Bliss is in that WWE situation as a performer of being more character driven than a serious contender and and when you're going up against Charlotte Flair that just doesn't mesh well
0: yep that's basically the way I feel about that too Uh, next up I'm talking the WWE Universal Championship matchup uh, it's an extreme rules match uh, between champion Roman Reigns defending against Finn Balor, who will be doing the demon gimmick uh, for, for every indication that they've given us. Um, it'll be cool. It'll just be another successful title defense by Roman. Uh, but I do think it'll be a good match. You know what I mean? I'm, de- I'm definitely not complaining about it. Uh, but I also think that, you know, because you know what this is going to be uh, is the reason why it's also not going to main event either.
1: Yeah, And that's that's definitely, you know, on the hate, the problem I have with it is the fact that we kind of know the outcome, but nonetheless, as wrestling fans, we're still going to enjoy the match, two great in-ring performers, bringing back the demon. The cool thing about that is I know a lot of people, you know, my friends that I still talk to wrestling about, uh, one in particular, shout out to Dave Ass, he's not big on the demon character. I, I like the demon character and especially how they have done it sparingly in the WWE. And at this point, they haven't pulled the trigger on this in literal years. So to yeah. me, it makes it more interesting. Like, that's more interesting than just the uh, him versus Finn Balor, where, again, we're pretty much 99% assuming Roman Reigns is definitely going over. So throw a little spark in there. And it's also an Extreme Rules match. You got the stipulation. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And, of course, the main event, the match that you already mentioned, the J, the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship matchup with Becky Lynch defending her title against Bianca Belair. Um Bianca should probably win the match here Uh, from the way that they've kind of set up this feud and everything. uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they really know what they're going to do here. Um, I just expect Becky to somehow win this match as a heel uh, to kind of further her being a heel. Um, That to me is a little bit less interesting than what they had uh, when they kind of screwed it up at SummerSlam um, with these two, where they could have really gotten a good match out of them. Um, And I think they just went another way. I think it's a bit of a mistake. Uh, I think Becky's doing okay in the heel character. She's not doing bad. And I think Bianca is continuing to do pretty good. Um, But, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's just the, the, the way they've gone about this. It's kind of fumble fucking their way through it. And that's just where I'm at right now until I see something amazing come out of this. I'm just kind of like lukewarm on it.
1: That's definitely the biggest problem is starting off on the wrong foot. You know, it's tough to come back from with the SummerSlam thing, with which we thoroughly broke down. Dude, they I should have
0: separated and, them or find a way, it like from an angle perspective, to keep them separated and busy for a time period until they can kind of figure out the right way of doing it.
1: Yeah, get back on track and almost make us fans forget for a bit the kind of bad taste in our mouth from the SummerSlam way yep. they went about it. But they, they didn't, and they're, they're at where they're at. I mean, they, they did come back a, a tiny bit and brought it back on the tracks somewhat, in, in my opinion, with Bianca being in Tennessee recently yeah, and her getting like the the key to the city and they're making her the main baby face. If you are going to put the heel roll to Becky, who's like so over and kind of sway the WWE audience, which they have been doing, as you mentioned, Hey Ed, she's doing pretty good in the heel role, all things considered, especially her coming back for the first time in a while uh, with, with her popularity d- just to kind of get the booze and, and get over as a heel in, in that way and, and making Bianca the white meat babyface, you know, through her homecoming and stuff. So at least they're, they're trying there and that kind of did sway it to me a little back on track uh, but as you said i feel like this is going to be going on for a while especially the, the last few years of the way the main event talent's been booked in the wwe so I, I see this being something that like you mentioned becky gets out of still as champion
0: all right so let's get with some predictions here the jay what are you thinking uh for the live morgan carmella match other than the fact that you probably don't care
1: No, I don't, but they should give a little bit of a push to live. You know, she has a cool character. She's a beautiful lady, decent in the ring with the women's WWE style overall. You know, she's not a barn burner type like the Oscars or Charlotte Flairs, obviously, but she has talent. She's there for a reason. And and Carmella's Carmella. You know, she does her thing. She's athletic. But I think Liv Morgan uh, needs a little bit of a push. They need to try to bring up some of these other women as opposed to like that's the one thing about the WWE's women. They have a great top roster, but it, it gets recycled so much because of that. So they have to start building up some of the quote-unquote mid-card uh, ladies here, and, and they could do something with Liv Morgan, I feel, and, and this is where it would start. She, you know, Her losing to Carmella on a, a big show like this in a big spot would obviously not help at all And what I'm hoping she gets here. Yeah, I don't
0: think it makes sense to have this match on the pay-per-view to begin with, but if you are going to have it on the pay-per-view, it only makes sense if you're going to kind of elevate Liv because she's the one that made the challenge. So I'll I'll go with the booking side of things. I could care less about the match itself, but I think Liv Morgan wins. Otherwise, I don't really understand what you're doing here. So Team Liv, hey, yo. Exactly. Next up is the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championship matchup. Uh, I think this is going to be a good match, but I don't think it's the right time for them to take the belt off the Usos. So I just see them retaining here in a pretty good match, like 15, 17 minutes.
1: It's a great minds concurrence as we do here on the What's podcast. Hey, hey, I'm right with you. I don't think the timing's right. They're really pushing the bloodline as the top talent on SmackDown, and they have a lot of momentum now. I don't see them, you know, stopping that. Uh, the Street Profits, as we mentioned, very formidable. Should be a great match, but I see the Usos, you know, maybe in a heel-like manner going over here and retaining the SmackDown championships
0: next up is the wwe raw women's championship i'm gonna just go out on a limb here and say spooky stuff causes alexa to win the belt
1: oh wow yeah i'll stick with charlotte so we'll be split on that one
0: okay uh the triple threat i'm talking damian priest against jeff hardy and sheamus and i just think it's damian priest is the u.s champ and he's gonna find a way to keep it here but this isn't over like they're probably gonna have more matches or, or something else with these three
1: yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. But again, let's let's go in with the the Internet hype that the J was speaking of. And I'll just go with uh, out on the limb here because it's just the extreme rules preview. I'll go. I'll take Jeff Hardy in this one.
0: OK, uh, of course, the WWE Universal Championship, me and the J have kind of already given our opinions on that one. Roman's obviously going to keep.
1: So I don't think that's you know,
0: you you do think Roman's keeping, right?
1: Yeah, I was going to mention yeah. pretty much the last two I already, already gave the J, so we can wrap up and, my hand. I was saying Reigns and Bianca.
0: Yeah, well, I think Becky's going to keep. So, uh, Or that's, that's what I meant. The, I'm
1: sorry. Okay, See, I'm getting yeah. ahead of myself. And I, no, yeah. yeah, Roman and Becky f- keeping. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. So, obviously, if you guys enjoyed that, check back next week. We're going to have a full breakdown of the pay-per-view. Uh, but we'll also have a full breakdown of what we're talking about next. And, of course, I'm talking about AEW. Dynamite and Rampage. Now, we normally don't break down Dynamite and Rampage here on the show because it's just weekly TV, but they are going completely all out this week. Get get what I did there, the j Uh I did. and I'm talking uh they're doing a show uh from Queens, New York at the Arthur Ash Stadium. Uh, and they're gonna basically uh turn it into two shows. So Dynamite will be live and Rampage will be recorded that same night. So let's just get into it, the J. Dynamite for September 22nd. This is what we have on the docket for the evening. First up, we have MJF taking on Brian Pillman Jr. And what's been a pretty entertaining television feud the last few weeks. Uh, I expect uh, MJF to pull off the W here, of course, though. Uh, But this will be fun. And uh, I like that they're giving Pillman Jr. a little bit of a push lately, too.
1: He he needed this, you know. He really did. MJF's a great opponent to to bring somebody up like Brian Pillman, who's a the the classic modern white meat baby face, which yep. usually doesn't get over too well in modern times. But him being Pillman's son, them kind of playing the family angle with MJF, MJF, which was great. Which I th- I think his sister literally did go into. Uh, labor not too far yeah. after the segment yeah. they did. So that could go into it. That's again, the, one of the great things about the art of pro wrestling and the magic, you know, quote unquote about it for, for us. Uh, so that was cool. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this, man. I, I think this is going to be good, but MJF as the character, uh, Windsor, whatever, in pro wrestling, but still, I think his character after the Jericho situation and last losing to Jericho on the huge pay-per-view, he'll get back on track here and he'll end up going over on Pillman. And again, probably in heel form, which won't hurt uh, Brian too much. And hopefully this, this whole thing does elevate Brian.
0: Well, and I was even kind of thinking too here, this is a good opportunity for them to do something interesting. And by that, I mean... Maybe make MJF and Wardlow beat the living shit out of him after the match. And I mean, like, bad. Like, he gets, you know, carted out and everything. And it fucks him up to the point where he's kind of like the loose cannon. You know, like maybe yeah, a little character be, change there. That'd be kind of cool. cool to
1: turn them into a new loose cannon. Cause, and that's the thing, too, just since we're still at the first match. Hey, I know you like started kind of mentioning it, but to those fans, to those listeners uh, that are with us that listen pretty much when the What's Real podcast drops, of course, we're doing predictions here. Uh, but this show will have already, aired because we record yeah. on Tuesdays. We'll be dropping on Friday, but you know, it'd be cool to see uh, if, if uh, our predictions were anywhere near uh, what they do on the show. So yeah, keep that in mind here as we go through this, because we know obviously that this uh, Dynamite show will have already happened when we drop and the Rampage one will be on the night that the What's Real po- podcast drops in the morning. So yeah, we'll see how our predictions go here on this one. Hey yo
0: all right so yeah both of us i think on that one probably agree that mjf is going to get the w there so uh next up is malachi black versus cody rhodes um this has been a weird feud i don't think they necessarily had the right direction like they probably shouldn't have started it when they did but they did and this is where we're at um i don't think it makes any sense for malachi black to lose here especially with what they're going for um, but it is possible because, I mean, he is wrestling Cody, but I, I honestly just think this is another match to kind of have Cody back for a minute, and he's going to be gone again shortly thereafter, and Malachi Black gets the win.
1: I'm with you. It's kind of Cody dipping in, and it's a good opponent for Malachi Black to kind of become like one of the main formidable heels in the current AEW product. So I think booking-wise, they really need to make Malachi Black strong here
0: and uh next up is a tag team match and i'll be honest with you here the jay and we'll get into the whole reasoning why a little bit later in the show i think their booking for this got fucked up and i'll explain why uh Sting and darby allen versus ftr i'm talking about cash wheeler and dax harwood with tully blanchard uh, i think this is the match that aw is gonna have rick flair debut for the company because there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously a member of the Horseman with Tully Blanchard, him and his entire history with Sting. Uh, but that's probably not going to happen now. Um, I got to think that FTR wins this matchup, uh, you know, as like total heels. Uh, they're probably going to like injure Sting or do something like that. Uh, but uh, they're probably going to keep something going with this, I would imagine, afterwards. But this will
1: be pretty interesting nonetheless we will definitely be getting into your bit of a preamble there much deeper later on the show hate you with your reference to rick flair of course in his probable absence to, to what could have been them bringing him back because there, there was a picture circulating on twitter too of a recent uh get together between sting and rick flair you know so they're around each other for a reason leading into this big match you know uh, which would make sense that that's what they were leaning towards uh, but ha- having to pr- probably most likely call an audible for obvious reasons we'll get into, but yeah, this, this could be fun, man. I mean, it's going to be the classic thing where Darby's going to, you know, which is like Darby's in a perfect role here, you know, to take yep. most of the, the beating from FTR. And and then, uh, at the end of the day, I'm sure this will be entertaining and I'm with you as far as the predictions go. I think the heels go over here we're, we're in a heel like manner with Tali being involved and everything and just chaos ensuing and one, either Sting or Darby getting pinned. I would assume Darby because it seems like that dude can, really get hurt from from losing here and there because of his character, yeah. you know.
0: Yep, no, I agree with you there. Uh we have an AEW Women's World Championship match and Dr. Britt Baker DMD versus Ruby Soho. Um I think this match is going to be one of them deals where either Britt ends up out of frustration getting herself disqualified or doing something or just leaving with the belt or something or we see Ruby win the title. Uh but my point is here if ruby does win the title here it's not going to be for long and they're basically doing it to just be able to get brit another reign like she'll lose it and then in two weeks she'll win it back or in a month she'll win it back but it's not going to be a planned uh reign or anything for ruby soho in my opinion but I, something in my gut tells me that we're not going to get a full-out clean match here we're just brit or ruby wins
1: Okay. Yeah. I've actually, albeit it's been brief, of course, with Ruby just, you know, debuting not long ago at all, but all things considered for how quick the feud kind of got put together. I've liked what they've been doing with it. I like their last segment uh, that I caught and and, you know, their face off and everything, what they were saying about her, you know, Ruby Soho, of course throwing out the ooh from the audience comment about banging the dude in the back.
0: They were like both going <laughs> personal back at
1: shots. It. Exactly. So, so that was, you know, it's cool what they're doing. And, and um, I'm, I'm going with the fact that I just think uh, Britt's going to keep, I think she's on her role. I, I think as long as she doesn't get seriously injured anytime soon, that this is going to be a very long reign for her. And I think them, you know, kind of slingshotting Ruby into this role when she first debuted. Cause you know, certain people online as you always do with different opinions were saying, you know, how the WWE talent just instantly gets put in the title match things yeah, like but, that. I get it, but I think it's going to keep,
0: we've talked about their women's division, right. And how there's some, yeah, it's good, not deep, but it's exactly it. I think it's safe to say that Ruby might be the best one out of all of them right now and and in the ring now Britt is to me the main character of the division like she's the best at promos like she she's good on tv um but at the same time she's still not where she needs to be in the ring now working with somebody like Ruby Soho will definitely bring that up a level I think compared to the talent that she usually works with um but at the same time you know uh it's probably in their best benefit to keep the belt on Britt. Uh, she needs to get better, and I think she can, but she's going to have to keep... You know, there's probably a good chance that this isn't over. Like, we're going to see these two again. Uh, and because, you know, I you keep hearing the stuff, too, that they're going to be doing some feud with her and Thunder Rosa, uh, but I've also heard that's not going to happen until next year, and they want to build it as, like, the biggest women's match in company history. So this might be just kind of like the mini feud until that can get started.
1: And and all, of course, always with the outside interference aspect with Rebel being around, because obviously she's going to be involved. So that's always your out. You know, it just turns into a shit show at the end, gets either thrown off or within the chaos, Ruby gets rolled up. You know, that sort of ending uh, or finish, I should say. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. But again, to wrap up, my... Prediction, I, I definitely think Brent Baker's keeping here. I think that's the the right way to go right now, even even just bringing in a big star like Ruby.
0: And in the main event, uh, this is not for the AEW title. Um, we have Kenny Omega taking on Brian Danielson. Uh, I think there is a strong possibility that this could be match of the year. Um, I just think that they're going to do it because they can. Um, And it's going to set up for an eventual title match. I don't know when they're going to go right into that, or they might do it down the line or something. But I think this is going to, you know, just considering what it is, it should be a really good match. And I do believe that they're going to deliver on something that's really good with these two.
1: Oh, I can't wait for this one. Hey, you just a dream match in the making. I I sent you that, you know, ROH was throwing out some, they'll throw out some free matches and different things on pay-per-view. Another shout out to Dave Ash. Shout out to a friend of the show, Dave Ash. He he actually sent me that link. I sent you. I watched a, a, an old ROH match between uh, Seth Rollins, that was uh, Tyler Black at the time, uh, the American Dragon, and Kenny Omega when he was basically just starting out because they were in Canada for an ROH show. So it was that triple threat, and that was really good. And it just wet my appetite, you know, like for the evolution of how far these guys have come to where they're at now in their careers. I mean this this has potential, like you said, to be the match of the year. So I, I these are two talents that they're not going to disappoint. Like that's the thing. That's the, we always talk about the differentiation between pros, between the good, the really good, and the fucking great. And these two guys are great going at it. I, I can't wait.
0: And potentially a even bigger show on Rampage just two nights later. Uh, let's just get into it. The Jay first up to open it off. It's a six-man tag team match, a trios match with the Super Click, the team of Adam Cole and the Young Bucks, uh, teaming for the first time since Adam Cole's return to the company against the team of Christian Cage and the Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus. This match is going to be really, really fun, and I don't see any reason why the Super Click isn't going to get the win here, probably with Adam Cole finishing somebody off for the win.
1: Yeah, this is some old school shit when the, the modern WWE e-product uh, over the years here has had kind of varying different characters that you like you almost didn't don't know sometimes like who's even really a heel anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it gets kind of lost in the shuffle. This this is like 80s old school heels versus faces and everybody's yep. over kind of match yeah. which i love yeah. and yeah this is gonna be a lot of fun man and, and the six-man environment where, where they're able to just go like this is you know that's why the young bucks are involved in so many six mans that this is their kind of match you know with the pacing they can do and, and of course christian cage and, and jungle boy and Lu- Soros especially jungle boy he's kind of always my aew homegrown talent mvp so yeah yep. really looking forward to this one
0: who do you think gets a w on that one the J?
1: Yeah, prediction wise, I'm with you. I think the the heels need to stay strong here, and it's not going to hurt the baby faces, especially Christian with the run he's had since he's came in. Give him credit. Talk about MVPs. Yeah, he's I think great. he's done really good since he's come to AEW. Way better than I expected. I'll fully admit that. To the point we're at presently, uh, but my point to all that is he can afford to take a loss here to the to the heels. So let's go with the super click for the J as well.
0: Next up, we have another tag match here. We have the inner circle team of Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus the men of the year. Of course, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, along with their manager, Dan Lambert from American Top Team. Um, Now, it would make sense here to have the men of the year win, but I don't see it happening. I think Jericho and Hager get the W in this one.
1: One of the more LOL buildups of all time. I love Dan Lambert on the mic as a heel in AEW. He turned out to be really great over the last couple months doing this. And what was the song? Hey, yeah, because you were singing it to me originally. I was dying. I'm a face-face
0: face dipshit. Yeah, Dip yeah, shit. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm a that was hilarious. Dipshit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. I love the build up for it. Uh, this will be fun. Uh, another solid tag match. Give us some time on here. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think the inner circle goes over the heels on this one. Um, you know, and that would co- correlate well with, you know, we got the, the first prediction, the, the heels going over, second prediction, the face is going over. Next
0: up, we have a highly awaited. It's been over seven years since he's wrestled on actual television. And I'm talking about CM Punk taking on Powerhouse Hobbs. Um, I think this one doesn't have a finish, if, if I'm just going to guess. And I think this is going to be the match where, you know, Team Taz is beating up on Punk. Maybe the match has already been thrown out. And Brian Cage runs down to help Punk and kind of joins up with him as like, you know, a guy out here watching his back.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't feel like this feud is going to end here. So that's that's why I would agree with you. I think it's just going to be the the traditional run in. And, and we were predicting some, you know, with some swirling rumors as well, to, to add to our thoughts, I think, hey, you know, with uh, CM Punk possibly teaming with a certain Brian Cage, possibly. So yep. this could be the case here with, uh, you know, just Bedlam at the end of this match, which wouldn't be bad. Other than that, that they're not going to give, you know, and th- this is a good matchup for Punk to have in this this situation with Powerhouse. Powerhouse isn't bad. Uh, I liked how he put Punk through the table and things, but if they don't do the kind of bedlam ending, just non-finish, I see Punk uh, just getting the win over Hobbs.
0: Yep, I agree with that wholeheartedly there, the J. Uh, we have another uh, tag match, but this one is a lights-out match, and it is John Moxley and Eddie Kingston taking on the team of Suzuki Goon, uh, Lance Archer, and Minoru Suzuki. Um, I think Suzuki Goon gets the win here Um, because, you know, whenever you put Moxley ain't taking losses, but whenever you put Eddie with him, that's very possible. And I think that the bottom line is on this one, Suzuki is going to get the win for his team over Eddie Kingston.
1: Yeah, I agree with that call. I think Eddie is the odd man out as far as taking the pin in this one. I, I don't see them having Archer take the pin, and in a tag match like this, Suzuki already lost an AEW to Moxley, and as you said, Moxley's top talent not taking a pin in a tag match like this. The only other question I had for you wrapping this up, because hey, yo, uh, you know I'm with you, I think Suzuki Gun uh, goes over here with Eddie Kingston taking the fall. Uh, what exactly is the Lights Out match rules? Is it just a fancy name for the title as they do? Okay, it's, so it's the, a 10-counter. Like,
0: yeah, got to answer yeah, the 10-count. Okay. So yeah, that's so just
1: like a last man standing basically. And
0: and they got a way out. You know what I mean? That's that's right. totally an opened up door to leave your way out here of of how to get that. So should that's be how a you really fun
1: match, man. It's awesome that Suzuki's having a few matches in AEW on American television.
0: Uh real because I don't think we're gonna be prolificating about this one too much. We have Anna Jay versus Penelope Ford in a match that they made clearly to get Anna J the win. Uh, which I'm fine with because I'm a fan of her anyway. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, of course, the Dark Order has their problems as well. And she's sort of part of that, but sort of not. So it works out for her, and she seems to be in the the position to get a push.
1: We all know here at the What's Real podcast how the J feels about Anna J. You know, we, we, we joked like she could be my wife. She has my last name, the J, Anna J, right? <laughs> get that correlation. But what an ace. On her hate, yo. when she came back, I like, man, talk about a badonka. All due respect, you know, spewing here on the mic at the What's World podcast. All due respect to the ladies, man. But, you know, you also got to give respect to that ace. And exactly. uh, yeah, this this should be a fun match. And I'm going to enjoy it for the pre-forementioned comments.
0: <laughs> and finally, <laughs> we have an eight-man tag team matchup. And I'm talking about the Hardy family office team of Private Party and the Butcher and the Blade are going to be taking on uh, literally one of my favorite eight-man teams that you could possibly make up in, in AEW. And I'm talking about the Lucha Brothers, Penta El Zero, Miedo, and Ray Phoenix, along with Santana and Ortiz. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And obviously, that's the team that gets the win here.
1: Yeah, that's all I can say, man, just to not keep reusing the word, but how else can you put it? It's another fun match, and like just reading through this, this is just going to be a really fun show, man. Just a lot of different tag matches, getting a lot of talent on the show and stuff, the CM Punk return. Uh, this will be a great night. Looking forward to it. AEW's biggest crowd of all time because of Arthur Ashe Stadium and it being sold out. And, uh, I'm just going to love it, man. That's Again, folks, that's why we wanted to talk about it, even though the timing's off uh, kind of for when we record to drop. But definitely worth talking about here for what we cover on the What's Real podcast. And this is going to be some epic television for AEW who are firing on all cylinders right now. And to wrap up my prediction, hey, you know, I'm going to go with uh, the heels in this one, uh, the Hardy family office uh, going over somehow.
0: Okay, so, of course, stay tuned next week because we're going to break those shows down for you as well. We got to take our first commercial break here. And when we come back, we're getting into some dark side of the ring. This is how you know it's serious because we've pushed the NFL back a segment. So uh, stay tuned, guys. After this, we are going to be talking the plane ride from hell and all of the fallout to come with it. Uh, so stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Want to advertise on the What's Real Podcast? Send us an email today. Just title your email ads at what'srealpod at gmail.com. For cheap, easy, and affordable rates, contact us today. Again, that's what'srealpod at gmail.com. If would you like to advertise? Send us an email today. get into dark side of the ring season premiere or i should say return for the season uh with the plane ride from hell now just a quick warning to anybody listening uh there may be some triggers in this this segment uh, there are things about uh you know some assault and things like that so just a quick warning to anybody listening so here we go uh the dark side of the ring uh plane ride from hell is all about a wwe plane ride uh from the england to the united states uh for a pay-per-view entitled insurrection back in 2002 the reason why this has become a story that would be covered on the dark side of the ring is because of everything that went down from fights to potential sexual assaults to embarrassing moments to drugs and alcohol and beyond and of course this episode did seem to nail most of it uh the way that it happened uh, with a little bit of issues here and there, depending on who is telling the story. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, this is something that me and the Jay are both fairly familiar with because we remember when it happened at the time. Uh, we got to see a lot of different coverage of this event through the years, uh, and I'm talking about from The Observer, from different magazines to different, you know, they they covered things like this on stuff like WWE Storytime as well on the WWE Network. Um, so this is not a new story whatsoever. Um, However, uh, this episode brought forth um, the stewardess from the plane or one of the stewardesses from the plane, which we'll get into all the details uh, as we go along here, um, who talked about a sexual assault situation uh, or just an inappropriate sexual situation with Ric Flair uh, in the episode as well. Uh, But in usual fashion, I thought that Darkseid did a pretty good job at covering what this was. They didn't get into everything. I think this one might have been uh, better off broken into two parts, too, the J. I don't know if you thought about that at all, uh, but I think there's enough stuff here to cover and some stuff that they missed that I think they would have nailed if they would have did it in two parts.
1: Possibly. Possibly. There's <laughs> there's a lot here, and and that's something that, you know, as a human being, you hopefully are able to grow and evolve in a positive manner and learn from mistakes. And I can tell you from, you know, this stemming from 2002 and us being, you know, huge wrestling fans uh, and and knowing, like you mentioned uh, in the the preamble to this in our opening segment, when you're bringing it up, that we're covering this, that we're thoroughly, you know, kind of scribes in the plane ride from hell, from the varying sources that we've covered in, in our own fandom over the years, since it's come out. All that said at the outset here from the Jay-haya, uh, the purpose of of me saying that is kind of a disclaimer, is that being a self-proclaimed family man, uh, being in my early 40s, having two young children, being happily married for a long time, you, you kind of change because I remember us always getting a kick out of these stories, of course. yeah. But when it's put in this kind of a package and you see... Doyle putting herself out there, Heidi Doyle, the flight attendant that's in this and telling this story for the first time, which, you know, I read a thing that she even mentioned she wasn't going to do it, but she kind of started telling her daughter about it that she had never told this to. And that gave her kind of the courage and confidence to just say, screw it. I'm going to go on here and tell my story, hoping to help other women that are in, you know, parallel scenarios and things like that, that I'm sure again, we'll get into all that said. This was kind of an eye-opening experience for me because, you know, thinking we know everything about this, which we did know a lot of, but again, when it's put in this kind of package and it's kind of in your face, uh, it, it gets tough to watch at certain, at certain points, man. I, I definitely did get emotional seeing Doyle kind of tear up at certain points in this. So uh, a lot to cover and and I'm with you. Like it definitely could have been spread into two episodes, but uh we'll break down the, the one that they did.
0: And also I'm going to give you guys a little bit of insight here on some of the stuff that happened, uh, and this isn't just me here, by the way, this is also, I'm going to give you some quotes and stuff from people involved, and of course, later on, we're going to be talking about the uh, the outcome, uh, particularly with Ric Flair and Tommy Dreamer. Uh, Tommy Dreamer was not on this flight, but he did appear on the episode as somebody who worked for the WWE at the time, uh, and uh, he had some uh less than popular opinions of what went down. But uh let's start it off like
1: this I think he are you sure about that? I think he was on the flight because that, that that wouldn't no. make
0: sense. No, he wasn't he there. wasn't?
1: No, he wasn't on the flight. Yep. Then I don't even get why they had
0: him on here. Because he worked for the company at the, the, the time. And he had an opinion okay. on what happened. So it's it's kind of weird, but yeah. He, or if he was on the flight he didn't see anything that went down according to him. But I, I didn't believe he was on okay. the flight. Okay, yeah, I thought, uh, to begin with.
1: Uh, yeah, from from how they put his interview, I thought he was definitely on. That's why they had him. So all right, so I'll, let I'll, I'll take it sorry I didn't no it no no, you're good no you're good <laughs> i was just i was honestly confused by that
0: so here here's the the breakdown here so on may 5th 2002 wwe finished its tour of britain with the taping of the insurrection pay-per-view in london which i already mentioned uh just incredible says quote vince at the time was chartering flights we weren't on commercial flights we'd rent a whole plane. We had a 747, all ours, meaning all the wrestlers and the TV crew. So we had every cameraman, all the girls uh, that make the costumes, tour managers, everybody, a full plane of WWE people. Now with that comes, and I bet you Vince hasn't done it since, a full and open bar. And what I mean by that is a plane filled with alcoholic wrestlers at the end of a grueling tour. So think about it. It's like the last day of school. sean waltman said it was brewing everybody had their different little deals going on uh, that they were doing some people were doing ghb uh getting pilled up whatever you know Uh, you could buy ghb at the health food store it was legal uh but that was the reason everybody was doing it uh but it fucked you up uh events started more or less innocently uh, when apparently Kurt Angle or Kurt Angle, uh, Kurt Henning and Scott Hall got a hold of shaving cream canisters and proceeded to run around tagging multiple individuals with the contents, just kind of goofy stuff. Um, Ryan, Shane Ryan of Grantland.com described uh, a scene in his piece, The Wrestler in Real Life, Ric Flair's long steady decline. Quote, wrestlers on the flight passed out syringes to the flight attendants with instructions to dispose of them. Uh of course, one of the first big things that happened was Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, and Brock Lesnar got into a uh, an incident. Uh, Kurt and Brock were close friends who traveled together, both hailing from Minnesota. But during the long flight, they got restless, leading to what started as a friendly amateur wrestling-style takedown tussle after Kurt insisted he was a better grappler than Brock. Waltman said, quote, Kurt Hennig was always really competitive. You know, Him and Brock, uh, we all hung out because we all lived in Minnesota credible just incredible said they weren't fighting at first but they're very competitive so just scraping along just messing around then something happened where it got serious it didn't come to blows but you know the opening they have on planes those openings are the emergency exit rows. now brock's a wrestling shooter and kurt's a shooter kind too so they took it seriously they want to give it give into each other They went at it hard. Uh, Lesnar shot in and drove Henning so hard into the side that they almost popped open the emergency exit 25,000, 30,000 feet in the air. Uh, People, among them Dave Finley, Triple H, and Paul Heyman, had to separate them. Waltman said, obviously, WWE management made a big deal out of it. The fucking door. It's impossible for it to open at that altitude, so it's really stupid. He said, the flight before, Vince and Kurt Angle had a takedown tournament in the aisle. Uh, But as soon as it happened with Henning and Lesnar, they made a big deal about it. Then Ric Flair comes into play. Waltman says, then fucking Flair comes out in the robe. Credible, nothing on underneath. Waltman, fucking balls naked, strutting down the aisleway. Credible, 60-year-old man, junk flying everywhere, going up to stewardesses. Come on, sweetheart, doing his woo. Grantland.com reported on the plane ride from hell. Two flight attendants Terrilyn Capileno, who we did not see in this episode, and Heidi Doyle would compile their allegations into a 2004 lawsuit. Chief among them chronicled misdeeds was Flair's sexual aggression. He wore nothing but a jeweled cape, uh, the flight attendant said, and flashed his nakedness, spinning his penis around. Uh, He separately grabbed each woman's hand and placed it on his crotch and then forcibly detained and restrained Doyle from leaving the back of the galley of the airplane while he sexually assaulted her flair would later insist there were no truth to these incidents uh though the wwe eventually settled out of court uh with both women there was a scenario with gold dust and the pa system um this is according to tara Capileno, who again did not appear in this episode um he told her over the loudspeaker that you and i are gonna fuck but it wasn't until Rhodes managed to get control of the plane's PA system to start singing an awkward slurred serenade to his ex-wife, Terry Reynolds, who was also on the flight. Uh, then the president of talent uh, relations, Jim Ross, enforces his authority to shut him down. Um, also, Scott Hall would lose consciousness on the plane ride from hell. Just incredible, said you had Scott Hall, too, out of his mind, completely out of his mind, shimmying and shaking. Hall didn't last long on the flight before slipping into unconsciousness, although there were conflicting reports about his involvement in the shenanigans. JR himself insisted Hall was not involved with any of the major incidents. When he was awake, he seemed to have done enough to put last rights on his ailing WWE career. Aside from the earlier uh, shaving creams incident, uh, Hall's contributions to the flight were of a much more sinister nature. In the harassment allegations, attendant Doyle claims Hall slobbered on her face, before telling her he wanted to lick her pussy. He also told Capilano to suck his dick. He passed out so deeply, in fact, that people had to check his pulse to see if he was still alive. Credible, quote, I had to babysit Scott. I had to stay straight because everybody else was so fucked up. Later, when he got off the flight, I had to get a wheelchair to roll him through customs at JFK. He was non-responsive. I remember Jim Ross sitting in baggage claim with his briefcase just going looking like he was disgusted. Um Also, uh, Michael P.S. Hayes, uh, according to Credible, Michael Hayes was getting real bad, and he's got a lot of heat anyway. Nobody likes him. He was drunk, rowdy as fuck, like being a dick, loud and obnoxious. Sean Waltman says, quote, Hayes almost pissed on Linda McMahon. He was all fucked up, trying to whip his dick out, stooped over, tugging at his trousers. He didn't know it's Linda. He thinks he's in the fucking bathroom. He's like in Hayes' voice, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He just keeps saying wait a minute over and over again. Finally somebody led him away. Credible said JBL had just had a killer match earlier at the pay per view and it was cut bad open. Waltman said I had a match with Brad Shaw for the pay per view in England and he got some color, so he had this big fucking gash on his head. Credible said, quote, so he's sitting there sleeping, bandaged up, getting some Z's, and Michael Hayes comes up shouting, Hey, you fucking redneck and punches him right in the forehead. Waltman you know the Freebirds thing where they always go protruded knuckle tap. He was like, boom. Credible. And opens his gash. So now Bradshaw's in a suit, nice clothes, busted wide open, bleeding like a pig over his suit. Waltman. And the story goes that Bradshaw fucking clocked him and knocked him out. Credible. He wanted to go in after Hayes, but JBL's a wrestler. Michael Hayes's office he's like your boss so what are you gonna do kick your boss's ass but obviously JBL or Hayes is way out of line he continues his bullshit but then he falls asleep Waltman so Michael Hayes is out cold he's got that fucking thing in a fucking ponytail that mullet you know he was rocking the mullet and I said somebody get me a pair of scissors I remember Lawler over there just giggling everybody's like no 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 you're not gonna do it I grabbed those scissors like I was pulling a pair of taped brass knuckles out of my tights. I over exaggerately reached down the front of those jeans and everybody looking and they don't think I'm going to do it. I grabbed the fucking tail. I lifted up and I just went whack and chopped it off and the whole plane erupted. Hayes would not realize until later he was going through customs that this had happened. Credible quote, I've never seen anyone so drunk and pillowed up. Look at himself as we're going through security and saw the mirror's reflection. It was like something out of a movie. He went, steeply raised his hand uh, to fluff up the back, only to find nothing. He popped out like stone-cold sober. Uh, Now he's going through customs. He's fucking red. He wants to fight people in customs, including the agents. Nobody stooges on uh, Waltman. Nobody snitches on him, but nobody liked Hayes. Jim Ross said in the uh, Ross report on WWE.com at the time, The flight was about seven hours in length and at times was low lighted by a handful of people who consumed too much alcohol and consequently acted like children whose parents were away and left the liquor cabinet unlocked. The conduct of the inebriated minority was totally was unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Procedures have been put in place to ensure that conduct does not occur in the future. Credible, Vince could have gotten in a lot of trouble technically in charge of a plane. Somebody could have died on that flight. Now, there was aftermath. Uh, And a lot of this stuff wasn't mentioned in the episode. Uh, After a period on the outs with the company, Dustin Rhodes was eventually dropped by the WWE in late 2003. He would eventually return to the company. Not to return, however, was an all-time great and posthumous Hall of Famer, Kurt Hennig. He seemingly uh, held solely accountable for the aircraft door incident with Brock Lesnar. And shortly thereafter, Hennig was released from his WWE contract and he would pass away the next year. Uh, as Hennigan Rhodes' contracts were headed for the Shredder, as too was Scott Hall's, his release was announced just uh, just days later. Um, he would shortly sign with the NWATNA promotion. Uh, the next day at TV, uh, Waltman would go in and put up his ponytail on a door, um, and that was also you know, continuing further heat from that. Xbox pac would eventually leave and go to rehab um and they didn't tell everything in this story that happened um terry runnels makes aware of an incident with her and brock lesnar where he would flash her at the pay-per-view um and how a lot of this stuff was brushed aside it was brought up by a lot of people that vince wasn't around for a lot of the stuff on this plane but he clearly was at the time um you know just a lot of bad stuff that came from this of course after the episode rick flair was rightfully catching a lot of flack on facebook and Twitter for this kind of thing, as was Tommy Dreamer, who had really basically comments that we don't really need to repeat here. It was just a lot of victim blaming and kind of standing up for flair. Um, and you know, and, and there's more stuff to come here, but the Jay, this is a pretty uh, bad light of a really embarrassing professional wrestling incident that happened. Um, they covered most of it, maybe some stuff a little bit out of order, like I said earlier. But ultimately, it kind of shed a light on a really, really bad story that has circulated for years, and it doesn't really shine a good light on too many of the participants.
1: Aptly named the plane ride from hell. There's, there's things that, you know, you you kind of overdo it or something like that. I mean, that is a perfect description of everything that you just ran through. And there's, you know, even just more random stuff to, to boot with all of that, you know, cause that, that's the thing. There's a couple other things at the outset, uh, from, from things I saw online, uh, some fans getting this confused with the other plane ride where Kurt Angle and Vince McMahon were wrestling and the yep. undertaker woke up and that, that was a completely different flight. Yep. So back back then the WWE was having some some pretty crazy flights but you know to you and I again just lifelong fans some of this stuff you know I'll, I'm not getting into the major stuff when I say this statement it is not surprising when you have these type of personalities 30,000 feet in the air on a small plane alcohol is involved so that's going to create the, these atmospheres and and just all hell to break loose you know almost literally here you could say in, in you know, two different playing scenarios, but, but of course this one in particular, and another thing that goes along with that, Hey, I don't know if you caught wind of any of this, but Jonathan Coachman, uh, for those listening that might not know, Jonathan Coachman is a broadcaster and works for the NF, the, uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: If you're talking about his stuff on Twitter, I heard it. Okay. And there's also just to give you an idea here, why didn't include it in here? Because there was, uh, you know, Bix, don't you? David Bixen's man yeah, because yep. So there was some stuff cause he is a researcher for the show and there was some stuff that popped up on Twitter that coach just promptly deleted and apologized for. Um, so basically the reason why I didn't bring any of his stuff up on this is because he's already kind of proven himself to be a little bit disingenuous and not necessarily representing uh, the facts of everything that happened. So I mean, you're more than welcome to continue reading on with his stuff, but I definitely wanted to say that first before he read anything of his because it's to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, as far yeah, that, as I'm that concerned. answers
1: it, because as as we do here, I was going to throw it at you, you know, because I, I don't know, you know, it's yep. like I, you hear these different accounts, so that's that's why I wanted to mention it because uh, basically, uh, Coachman was just saying that. He has gotten a lot of questions about the flight from hell because he was on it with the Dark Side of the Ring episode, but he hadn't seen it yet. But the one big thing, and that's the question I was going to have for you, because uh, I wasn't 100% sure. Uh, again, with people getting confused, that's why I had the preamble of people getting somewhat he confused was right the about the other that. flight. That was right. That with, uh, Vince Vince, yes. and Linda, they said, were on the flight, but they weren't. And he no, said that is that's false.
0: Th- dude, I, I don't believe that Vince was not on that flight. I don't um there's enough the bottom line is Jim Ross is the guy that corroborates the fact that he was on that flight um I believe Jim Ross was in a much better position to give that information than somebody like Coachman at this point I think Coachman might be the one that's confused about this one
1: gotcha but yeah I just wanted to bring bring that up that came out of this uh as well uh a, a big highlight for me was RVD's take yeah, I think he was one of the ones with the more one coherent, of the more
0: reasonable takes on the reasonable
1: whole thing. takes on the whole thing. You know, he broke it down. He put himself out there to be talking shit on on Flair and stuff because you know G- Jim Ross even says that within this episode, as far as like you know, all these guys got fired. You, you ran it down very well. Hey, a, a bunch of legendary stars, future Hall of Famers, even in the latter part of their career, well after this 2002 incident uh were fired and, and ended their careers. You know, X Pac going to directly to rehab, Scott Hull and Kurt Hennig, as we've been through, Dustin Runnels. They they all pretty much, you know, that this was it after that, which which it should have been, you know, but who gets left out of that with with maybe the worst discrepancies was Ric Flair. And and Jim Ross goes on to say he, you know, he straight up says he's a made man. You know, especially at that time, you're going back more years. He, he's just he's it's the whole he's Ric Flair thing that, that, like you said, we won't get deep into Tommy Dreamer's comments, but that's in, in layman's terms what Tommy Dreamer was saying. Like, come on, man, it's Ric Flair.
0: Yep. And it kind of shows you, too. And one of the other things I definitely wanted to mention on here, the stuff about the sexual assault and everything was pretty gross. Uh, but as an aside, one thing that this episode brought up that I think fucking horrified people. And it's something that we've known about this business for a long time too. And and me and the J are two guys that would happily tell anybody, like we enjoy professional wrestling, but we've known for a long time that the backstage part of it is a fucking cesspool. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be, but there's still factors of that that exist today. And one of the things that they brought to the mainstream to me in this episode is the fact that one of the biggest ribs uh, pranks if you will in in the wrestling industry is h-bombing people which Uh. is essentially drugging people to the point where they don't have their facilities at all and just to give you guys a idea of how this is okay and and how long this has been around so this is an event that they're talking about where this happened in 2002 which was a long time ago but it still even kind of happens um And one of the first instances I can think about this, there's a really famous uh, thing or infamous thing in the late 80s uh, where Outback Jack, a guy who uh, it's an Australian character in the WWF back then. And I would say about like 1987, um, who ended up being a jobber. He's kind of like a well-known jobber with a gimmick. Uh, But the reason why his career never really got off to a good start is There was a time in a hotel where he just showed up to the hotel bar completely naked and completely out of it. Um, And it disturbed a lot of people within the company. And it turns out that he was H-bombed by the British Bulldogs, uh, which basically made him do something like that. And uh, that was in 1987. So, and Jim Ross kind of got into it in this episode too, where he said, you know, guys think it's funny to watch people that can't talk and are basically like drooling all over themselves and can't walk and don't know what the fuck is going on. That's funny to a group of professional wrestlers, um, which kind of shows you the mindset of a lot of these guys to begin with. Cause I don't know about you. That's not really something I would find funny. And if somebody did something like that to me, uh, not only would I not know sell it, but there's a good chance that I'm going to have a very, angry and violent reaction to the person who did it to me, uh, the next time I see them. So, uh, and I don't know anybody really in, in the normal world that wouldn't feel the same way that I did as well. There, the J. So this is something that I thought got brought to the light in pro wrestling. That's been a pretty gross and disgusting thing for probably since the first time I ever heard of anybody doing something like that.
1: And on top of it, bottom line, of, man that, that could lead to death. Mm-hmm. the age bombing mm-hmm. realistically that could lead to somebody dying from from having that happen to them so yeah i mean yeah I, it's just it's just terrifying to think of you know you put it from a personal perspective is is like you mentioned just being fans and and being involved in the independent scene at times in our lives and and varying you know situations never uh, deep in enough to to be in situations like this. Thank God. And, and from a personal perspective, with a big group of guy friends, and even speaking on when we were younger, we were more or less like kind of pranksters, and you know, would we, we kind of we were like more mischievous than to harm anybody. Like that was yep. the thing. And and that's exactly what this is, man. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's like thinking this is funny and and we covered this in the dark side of the ring with the uh dynamite kid because he and the british bulldog were the big ribbers it's like it goes from that point of like some of their light ribs it's like yeah those are funny pranks in 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 legitimate ribs in in the wrestling business they even ribbed uh vince in in certain ways that he even himself would would like end up saying found funny uh different stories like that this is just going beyond too far. It's, it's to the the realm of being straight up sadistic.
0: Yeah. This is sadism. You're absolutely right. That's 100% what these types of ribs are in the wrestling business. And there really doesn't, there isn't a place for them. There probably should have never been a place for them, but this type of environment fosters this type of, you know, behavior, unfortunately, and it's bizarre. And dude, you've even even kind of seen some of this yourself. Now you've been, you know, there was a time period where you were in the training uh, facility for the WWE, which was the OVW many years ago. And like I can tell you from our personal conversations, you've even told me a few small instances of your time there of like some really disturbing fucking behavior from people.
1: It's the fact that I'll put it this way. Profe- as a professional wrestler, you're basically, well, not basically, you're an independent contractor, okay? When, you, when you're an independent contractor, this you're not part of a team. You're not, you're an individual, you know, completely. So with that, my point to that is as individuals, you're dealing with people from all walks of life. And on top of that, you're dealing with people that were, and I, I admit to myself, in, in air quotes, crazy in their own way enough to perf- uh, pursue a full-on career within the modern circus, we can call it that, is the professional wrestling industry. Like normal people, don't get into pre- professional wrestling. Like you're kind of in, in, like in not totally normal. Just being a fan of professional wrestling in certain ways, just because it's such a unique art form that that we don't need to diatribe into. All that said, to to actually go the extra mile to be trained to go on the road, to get in the ring, to to do professional wrestling matches on an independent level to the professional wrestling, the the professional circuit of professional wrestling, you're a different kind of breed. So all those factors, being your own kind of individual, being pretty crazy enough to be in this, this world, and it being a completely alpha male driven world, then all that said, hey, Ed, you throw in drugs and alcohol. Yep, and it's a fucking and dude, it's a pipe bomb.
0: And throwing, sprinkling a little
1: bit of mental illness in there,
0: uh, sprinkling oh, the, brain injury. That's why I mentioned
1: the the. That's why I mentioned the individualism, like depending on these guys with all those other aspects. Yeah, you take guys that that have mental issues that are going through some shit. They're doing, you know, guys are on coke, guys are on whatever the fuck. They're drinking as well because that's the whole point to the the underlying thing of this, which I know they covered. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying people look past it, but everybody is blacked out drunk. And that by no means is an excuse. But my point to saying that is that is the reason that this went to hell. And
0: well, and it's also the situation too, where nobody involved even had the option to remove themselves from it. They're not partying in a hotel. They're on an airplane. No one can leave. That's 30,000 that, feet in the air. Exactly. And you're in a volatile situation, uh, numerous times. You know what I mean? You, have, you have a, you have a Dustin Rhodes who's yelling and singing over the, the PA system that is supposed to be used for emergency related stuff or getting messages out to passengers. You have, you know, they were sitting on the tarmac for seven hours with three full drink carts, which got to the point where the stewardesses weren't even serving the wrestlers anymore. They were going and getting their own drinks, uh, not to mention whatever drugs have made it on the plane, uh, no matter how many people were, were yes. h bombed, no matter like, you know, you have people on there with like Dustin Rhodes is another example. He just had a divorce, like a serious type you know, personal situation going on. You have Scott Hall on the plane who already has addiction issues and might be having problems. Uh, Mix that in with just fatigue and, and jet lag and everything. Like this is a time bomb waiting to happen. And it's, you would think somebody, this isn't Vince McMahon's first rodeo. You know, if this if something like this happened in 1985, maybe I'd be like, oh, he clearly didn't know what he was getting into. But by 2002, I'm pretty sure even he understood the ramifications of doing something like this.
1: And and on top of everything you just said, hey, add in the fact that they were basically celebrating, which they said, because it was the money era. And they were on a really successful tour coming home. So they were all high. Like you said, Bradshaw had this great match and different things. So you add that factor in too, which I think added to this, you know, it's kind of a celebration that just goes wrong again, because you you go too far with the party and you're, you're just, you lose your inhibitions completely. And and to your point, you're 30,000 feet in the air on a a cylinder fucking plane that you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Like this seven hour flight to those women must've felt like 14 And, and to add to everything we're just covering, as you said, like all the booze with with certain drugs, you know whatever the fuck they had on it. The, the stewardess in the dark side of the ring breaks it down, and the the interviewer, the producer, whoever that's interviewing her, asks her like, "Okay, you're, so you're saying you brought in like a second cart and then a third cart? Like, is that typical?" She's like, nev- "We never brought in more than one cart."
0: Yeah, and they I were asked, on like three full carts of booze that these dudes consumed. So, like, that's another thing that I want to know here: who's responsible for okaying all of those? I, you right. know I she kind of went through it,
1: but she didn't go through the specifics on on that exact inquiry. Yeah, like yeah. is it is it one of them making the call? Is it the
0: captain making the call? Is it somebody at corporate at the company that owns the jet that they like the company they all work for? Is it them making the call? I mean, there's no single person to blame here. Like, I think it's safe to say that the wrestlers all hold their amount of responsibility in this. The airline overserved them. That's a completely separate thing. Then you have Vince who could have done something and didn't. Instead, he'd rather have J.R. doing it. Uh, even after the fact, the uh, lack of punishment for certain people in this situation uh, is wrong. Uh, you know what I mean? Whether it be Ric Flair, whether it be Vince McMahon, whether it be Jim Ross, whoever. In that situation, everybody should have probably been held more accountable for the situation than they were. Um, I don't have a problem with the people getting fired for what happened on this plane because they all played a major part in this stuff too. So they pay the consequences. That's kind of what happens with this thing. We're all big boys here. And again, you're an independent contractor. This company doesn't really need to do anything additional to hold on to you. They're not. Even, you're not even an employee of theirs. So You know what I mean? Like they they could have easily solved the situation, but in 2002, they just simply weren't going to do that. That's not even the way that companies operated at that point.
1: It 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 it, was a different time.
0: Yeah. And and I'm not defending that either. It's just people handled things. It's it's good the way a lot of things have moved in that regard where we realize that this type of behavior is not only unacceptable, but it's not accepted by people either.
1: I mean, unfortunately people have to go through shit for for things to cha- change and that's what this flight attendant did and you know as we wrap things up we can kind of get into her closing thoughts on everything but two things i wanted to shout out to you hey yet you know, that were pretty prominent points made by our man john pollock for those that don't know john Pollock's a i like big john wrestling too. journalist from from canada yeah so give him a shout out from his pro wrestling.com uh, article on the the plane ride from hell. That's the Jays reference here. Uh, the first thing I wanted to mention that, that really stood out because I know this will, uh, you know, hit you at home as well as it did me. Hey Ed. to understand the history of pro wrestling culture is an understanding that the rules in the real world don't always apply. These stories and events are dressed up with glittery terms like rock and roll lifestyle, partying, and the boys being the boys in present day society, we're finally breaking down these terms and it's a harsh exercise in decoding what contributes to these vague descriptions. And that goes into like guns and roses that goes into dudes in Hollywood. You know, it's, it's that thing. Like I live the rock and roll lifestyle, but then the the glamor and glitz of these stories and, and where these guys are with, uh, you know, wealth and fame is this is the darks dark reality side. And that's why this is, as we always say, the dark side of the ring, of course, but this is the harsh reality of the, oh, we're just partying and boys being boys. And and again, us being through our personal life moments of, of partying and, and things that just never came to this extreme, because again, there's, there's lines everywhere in life. And if you go over the line it is one thing, I mean, this is above and beyond going over the line. And just to wrap up uh, one of the, second points that John Pollock made that kind of, that's why I wanted to point this out in particular. Hey, Ed, it was kind of a a personal thought that I had before even reading John Pollock's uh, article. And I know you've kind of alluded to this uh, during your commentary on this. And that's the fact that certain terms that become really popular lose their power, And that's with a lot of things, whether it's like political commentary or just overall social commentary, especially in the day and age of social media and everything that comes with that. As he said, it really irked me on the quote unquote cancer cult- cancel culture theme that was brought up by Tommy Dreamer specific to this story. It has become a catch all buzz term to excuse the most egregious actions, knowing that the term will spark an emotion in a certain fan base that wants to preserve its heroes and ignore reality. And that's what happens. Everybody's saying cancel culture this, cancel culture that. The term loses its power because at the end of the day, cancel culture is the right term when it's used appropriately. But that's his point here in so many situations. When when you throw it out to, to defend somebody that's that shouldn't be defended using that term, it's you're using it in the wrong way. And that's where things get fuzzy and the the, the waters just get completely muddy.
0: Absolutely agree with that, the Jay. And you know that that's a perfect segue because I did want to talk about Tommy Dreamer here. Uh, he did come out and he said this after the episode quote, regarding my comments on Dark Side of the Ring. It was never my intention to offend, hurt, or victim shame anyone. I understand my comments were insensitive and could trigger emotions in someone's own personal past. I do not condone sexual misconduct of any kind. I apologize to anyone I offended. For the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry, unquote. And for me, um, that kind of just shows you two dreamer, just still doesn't seem to understand the problem here. Um or maybe he just worded this incorrectly, but regardless, it's not, it's, it's lousy. Um, I understand my comments were insensitive and could trigger emotions in someone's own personal past. How about what I said was wrong? I apologize. You know, like there's certain shit that people say. It's amazing how some people will skirt around things But, uh, and I'm, and dude, you know me, I've always kind of liked Tommy Dreamer. He always seemed like a pretty good dude.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that.
0: This is just disappointing to me that this is what he feels would be okay in that regard. Now, I don't feel like he should lose his whole life because he said terrible things on a documentary, okay? Dreamer didn't do anything here Other than just say a terrible opinion Let me get that out of the way too Because I don't think the guy should be thrown in jail I don't think he's a rapist Or somebody that is constantly apologizing For predators or anything like that Um, I just think that What he said on the documentary was shitty And his quote unquote apology Was pretty fucking disappointing too And that's just kind of My personal opinion on that
1: one I'm with you, and that goes hand in hand with flares, which has since been taken down. And uh, you even mentioned because I know he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing. It's, it's I awesome have in them. front of me. I have both but, of them here. Okay, because he he said, you know, I was told by a lot of people not to say this, but yes, you mentioned like okay. yeah, his lawyer told him not to say it. Yep. Uh, and you could you could go through it, but like what I wanted to say here was that he was actually recently after this all broke on Renee Paquette's podcast. Yep. yep. So you, uh, you know you, you could go there? into your thing. Yeah, that's, that's what I, get, okay. I was going to say. You okay. could go into it. Hey, Ed. So he just said, We'll see how it all plays out because I was there and I don't care whose name I got to drop if the heat falls on me. I know who was where and what and who and what took place. I know the whole story. And from what I, I guarantee you, you're going to break down, he basically was saying, You know, I, I was there doing this. You know, I was doing my stick, but I didn't have any ill intent, that sort of thing. But again, it's to your point. It's just deflecting the fact that you're cornering this woman naked, you know, no no matter what you're admitting that. Like, of course, he's not admitting that he placed his hand, uh, you know, her hand on his penis or anything, but even to what you're admitting to is fucking wrong and you're just deflecting it. Like, you know, again, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes. If that's your mother, your wife, your girlfriend, your sister, your friend, period, anybody, it's just not right is the bottom fucking line. Don't deflect. And, dude, this is something that kind of pisses me
0: off when people say stuff like this. It was not my intent, okay? Sometimes it's not about your fucking intent. It's about how you made someone else feel. Like, if I do something and I intend it one way, but you take it a totally separate way, sometimes I'm fucking responsible for that. That's the point here, like it's not always like I don't think most people intend to go dude, there's people that go out and murder somebody, and when their day started, they wouldn't wake up and go, "I'm gonna go kill somebody today. It's not always about the intent, it's about your actions and you know, sometimes you can't do things because it'll be perceived a certain way. Like I can't go down to the park down from the street for me and approach every little kid I see and tell them how great they are. And I hope they have a wonderful day because it might, regardless of my intent, it might be perceived by people who don't hear and know me that I'm fucking a child molester. So again, it's not about my intent, it's about the way that it's perceived, and sometimes people just don't think about how their actions will be perceived to someone else, and it's all about their intent in their own mind that nobody knows about. So it's it's fucking weird. Um, but also here, this is something that I wanted to mention, this was as the J said, this is the very first statement which Flair posted. Um, that has been taken down since, I believe. And it said, quote, every person that I've worked with uh, has said not to post a response, but I've never run from past behaviors before and I'm not going to start now. I want to clarify a few things. About four years ago, I gave ESPN full access to my life for a 30 for 30 special. They covered taxes, financial issues, adultery, divorces, the passing of my child and drinking and partying at length. Rory Camp." desperate for uh, to matter for another 15 minutes uh did an interview about it this morning when rory's lips are moving he's typically lying but one part of what he said is the god to honest truth quote i've never heard that he had forced someone to touch his genitals carpf admitted everyone everything with rick that was construed as negative i tried to address in the 30 for 30 his drinking his philandering his adultery his money problems there's quite a bit but never at least in the people that I spoke to, no one ever brought up that he would force himself on somebody, unquote. Rick continues to say, I allowed my personal life and the lives of my wife and children to be turned upside down for one reason, whether good or bad, even in the really bad, the truth has to matter, even in wrestling. My, for- my issues have been well-documented over my 40-year career. The impact of drinking too much, which nearly killed me five years ago, has been told time and time again. The reason Rory, or anyone else for that matter, never heard stories of me forcing myself on anyone is simple. It never happened. Now, in a follow-up to Wrestling Inc., Ric Flair stated, to clarify, the helicopter, as it was called, is accurate. I wish I could blame it on my youth, But it was a case of drinking too much and being inappropriate, and I apologize for that and have countless times over the years. I made some bad decisions during dark periods in my life, and it is something I've spent a significant part of years I was given by the doctors in 2017 to make right. I condemn sexual assault in any way, shape, or form. I could and have written books, as have others, that have covered my transgressions. I've made some terrible decisions but I've never forced myself on anyone in any way, period. Ric Flair has been removed from the WWE show intro intro before last night's Raw, and his merch has been removed from the WWE shop as well. Um, The first one wasn't the best example to me of what Flair should have done. Um, Basically said that this dude's a giant liar, but he told the truth when he said something about this, which happened to show Flair in a good light. Um Again, and deflection. and he also said that that Rory Kampf dude said nobody that I've ever spoke to has basically said that Rick Flair has forced himself on people. That's great. Doesn't mean you've spoken to the right people or enough people. Um, I guarantee you in that article he didn't speak to either one of the women that were, um, stewardesses on the airplane for that matter. Um, I did think the second one was better from Flair. Um. And I do think in a lot of ways he is telling the truth uh, in saying that, you know, his health got affected a few years ago and he's kind of changed his ways, which it seems like he has. He's married. Um, You don't hear a lot of the same stories about Ric Flair that you would used to hear on a regular basis. So that's good. Okay, that is good. But yeah, it took him 75 years. Exactly. Thank you. And it and he kind of didn't really do that until he saw maybe the writing on the wall uh, where this kind of thing was happening to people with these past transgressions. So all I can really say in this matter is um, don't act like a drunken asshole and it won't be a problem. Um, it sucks for the person that this happened to. So I understand that. Um a person who I felt came across as incredibly genuine and basically still seemed to be downplaying what actually happened uh, as not to make a big deal about a lot of it. So I felt that was pretty credible as well. Um, a lot of people weren't so truthful and forthcoming in this uh, kind of a, a bummer on Jim Ross's part of not doing anything at the time. Definitely a bummer in Vince McMahon, not doing anything about it at the time and essentially settling with the woman out of court. I know a lot of people, by the way, who have said, and Tommy Dreamer even says this in Dark Side of the Ring, where if it was so bad, then maybe she should have you know, prosecuted it full, to the fullest extent of the law, which I understand that opinion. But at the same time, people also don't understand our legal system and how a publicly traded company that is worth billions of dollars could essentially litigate a person into the poorhouse over so there a lot of people don't take that into consideration too. whenever they say that this woman took a handout. Um, it might have been her best opportunity to get anything from this or not have to go into the poorhouse legally and paying legal bills that are astronomical to fight a billion dollar company on something like this. So hopefully, hopefully everybody does keep all these things in mind as well when they're thinking about this topic, because I think it's all pretty important.
1: Yeah, there's so much to unpack and, you know, unpack and so many horrifying situations with, with guys at certain periods of our life that, that we look up to. But, you know, this, again, this is the truth of the matter. That's why this show is called Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, as you mentioned, just closing thoughts from the Jay Hayiot on this whole thing. Uh, Jim Ross. Uh, to you know, some semblance of credit there. He did place himself in the line of fire. He did. He accepted, I, dude, he accepted the responsibility to occurred that, under his watch. In that
0: documentary, I felt like Jim Ross actually faced the fire more than maybe anybody else that they talked to. And exactly. he even said, "Like what we did was wrong. I, I, I'm not proud of this." Like he, you know, and he's he's kind of you know expressed regret from the whole entire incident for years. So. Right. That's why and, I think and we Jim Ross comes across the right way compared to somebody like a Tommy Dreamer.
1: He's he's thirty thousand feet in a plane with these goose. You know, really, what's he supposed to do? Like he got uh, Dustin off the mic. You know, he's he's doing what he can to put out fires. Like I I know it, it is in different situations. You know, producing and things like that. When you have fires to put out, it's easier said than done, especially in this situation. Again, with these alpha males, the 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 height of where flare is. At this juncture, um, you know, like he explained for Flair's lack of punishment, Uh, it was an instance of a question where he could have made up some bullshit excuse, which of course WWE would never contradict for its own accountability. But he said that, you know, Flair was a made man. Like, that's it. That's the truth. Like, what do you want me to do? Flair? It's Ric Flair. He, he got, he got away with it. They settled out of court. They, they spent the money on it. Uh, going back to uh, John Pollock, giving John credit with the reference article on postwrestling.com. He had mentioned that he had seen the episode on Thursday morning before it aired uh, with an advanced screener. And he knew it was going to be horrifying for others to watch it here. It stuck with them throughout the day. And he said he feels that this is the type of episode that should stick with you because to ignore it would be the exact method that contributed to this repeated behavior. And that's what we were talking to earlier in our own opinions, Hey Ed? Uh, He later on went on to say that we must be equipped to discuss these complicated subjects because ignoring them is a disservice to those willing to step forward and speak up. He said, I also implore those to view this type of story, not through the lens of your favorite wrestler, but through the viewpoint of Heidi Doyle, the, the stewardess. And then imagine someone close to you, as we both mentioned, of uh, you being in her shoes on that same flight, and and that's that's where I'll close. Hey, and then you can take it home uh, with with this episode of the Dark Side of the Ring, which was just yeah crazy, very layered and deep. And we're obviously both emotional about it here on the What's Real podcast. Uh, I I just give kudos. I'll give her a small clap here on the show to Heidi Doyle for having the courage to step up. Uh, you know again, after speaking to her daughter, getting the confidence to do this, which she wasn't gonna do, as she states at the closing of this episode, she's hoping that if it even helps one woman that goes through any similar parallel situation to this, if it helps them, then she that's why she's doing this uh that's hero type shit. it really is that's no bullshit there. I don't think that's an overstatement. I think Heidi Doyle's a hero in this situation, and she did her part because as you could see with the the modern day of social media in pro wrestling, Twitter, it sparked a lot of conversation. A lot of women have been coming out that are in the industry. Uh, I'll end it with what Maria Kanellis, uh, for those that don't know, Maria Kanellis is a long time uh, female professional wrestler. And she was talking about what uh, Terry Runnels was, was saying. And she said, it was always as Terry Runnels said, don't sell it. Don't let them see you cry. You were lucky to be here. Boys being boys, it's funny, et cetera, et cetera. All lies to hide the grossness of it all. It was a culture that some people still try and uphold today. Back in my day is part of that lie, is what Maria said. So, you know, you got to think about the women in this situation. But again, just to close it, hey, Ed, kudos to Heidi Doyle for having the courage to step on here. And Heidi, you did your part. We're talking about it here on What's Real. Thousands, if not millions, of people are talking about it on Twitter and within the professional wrestling industry. And that's what heroic actions do it creates the conversation and will hopefully in in the end of the day stop things from like this happening and at least stop the culture and make situations like this hopefully more rare as time goes on
0: absolutely Uh, i totally agree with that and obviously kudos as well uh, to evan husney and jason eisner for making this episode uh, part of the dark side of the ring series um, I think that they're doing some of their best work, man. They're they're really putting together these stories and and trying to get the information out there to people. Um, you know, it again though. I, I always say this too, man. The dark side like this kind of shows you the light as well, and you know that that, that does still exist. It's not all shitty um but you know putting an eye on these stories is something that's important um it's part of the history of professional wrestling and it's it like you said the j it's what helps you just essentially get better um as a person so and as an industry so hopefully that happens And this kind of starts steering that in the right direction. So I thought it was definitely a successful episode uh, for them. Um, However, I did see this, the Jay, I don't know if you saw this or not. Did you see that this was the lowest rated episode of Dark Side of the Ring ever?
1: (laughs) No, I don't know why that would be.
0: Uh, Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know if it was bad timing, maybe with football games and other things like that. I, I really don't know. Um, I'm sure enough people will get to see the episode uh, because they do replay them uh, quite a bit. But that was a bit surprising just as far as from a rating standpoint. So and it kind of shows you, too, man, that 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 layoff for them really does hurt uh, because the show was firing on all cylinders. And then they had to stop it and then do like part B of the season. So uh, maybe they learn, you know, the people with Vice have kind of learned their lesson with that. And, you know, they just kind of do it the way that they did to begin the series over the first couple of seasons um but definitely a good episode and uh next week here on the show we're going to be taking a look at the next episode which is dark side of the ring on chris canyon
1: uh a pretty better than canyon
0: pretty well-known wrestler in the 90s and uh he was a closeted gay man and i'm sure we'll get a lot more out of that story too Uh, this upcoming week on Dark Side of the Ring. So we are going to take a quick commercial break and whenever we come back we are going to break down the NFL guys. We have a massive NFL segment uh, ready to go for you guys. So stay tuned everybody we'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 88 of the What's Real Podcast.
1: Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 continues with the episode on the great Chris Canyon.
0: Also, we have a full week of NFL coverage, including predictions, power rankings, and the breakdown of the Steelers versus the Bengals. Also, 31 days of Halloween begins as the Jay and Hey Ed break down some of the season's best. And also, we're going to cover AEW's biggest week in company history and WWE's Extreme Rules 2021.
1: Hey, hey, everybody! This is Herman James with the What's Real podcast, and I'm here for Goofs Your Goofs on the 88th episode of the What's Real podcast, where the guys talk about things like pooping at Steeler games and Texas moms yelling about anal sex and cornholes.
0: All that and much more next week on episode 88 of the What's Real podcast. And we're back, and it is time to get into some NFL talk. We got a lot of stuff for you this week. Uh, of course, we're gonna be talking some Steelers, Raiders. We have a fantasy update, power rankings. We're gonna predict games for week three, but let's get to week two first, the J, shall we? Crazy week of football. Uh, the, absolutely. Uh, in the game that we're gonna be talking about later on, the Raiders uh beat the Steelers 26 to 17. Uh, of course, like I said, we'll get into that a little bit more later on and uh also uh, me and the jay both lost that game uh in our predictions i know that uh because we both picked the steelers yep, i there. have all
1: our predictions calculated this week hey yo <laughs> i was Perfect. i was doing it as we were recording the show last week so i learned my lesson there so the jay is prepared
0: Next up, we have the Giants taking on the Washington Football Team, and we saw the Washington Football Team pull this one out at the last moment with a field goal, winning the game thirty to twenty nine. And I believe I got this one wrong, the Jay, and you got it right.
1: Yeah, we were split here. I picked Washington, no, but hey, could have went either way. Don't feel bad. Hey, at thirty to twenty nine, this was a tight game, and these two teams, as the the score will tell the story there with the thirty to twenty nine final, are very, very you know, closely matched.
0: Yes. This is going to be a tight division this year, I think, with with these teams. And not in a bad way like it's been in the past. Uh they're all at least somewhat solid uh regardless of what you see. Uh, they're not the best, but they're not the worst by far. Um next up is a game that I, I know I got this one wrong as well, but I'm still glad that I made the pick because I think they're a better team than than people are giving them credit for even though they lost this one 20 to 17 to the Chicago Bears. I'm talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, not a bad game. It's it's a game that I look at as being still good for the Bengals, but not great for the Bears because Andy Dalton got hurt. Uh, Justin Fields would fill in, but didn't have the greatest game either. Uh, the Bears are a very, they're like a conundrum right I, now. That's, is, that was and, my and they commentary. were like that last year, but even more so now.
1: Yeah, I was saying last last week cuz we yeah, we both took the L on this. We both picked the Bengals and I was saying like just watching that Bears primetime game against the Rams and and I should have su- suspected it was against the Rams. Uh, I had been mentioning that they kept themselves alive with their running game and that's another thing that they they showed in this one and they they ended up getting an unexpected W that was definitely an upset to me. So, yeah, the Bears are just all over the place this year. We'll follow them week to week and as we always say, that's why it's you know fun varying from week to week seeing what happens
0: and dude i'll give the bengals a little bit more credit here too because they lost this game by three points off joe burrow's worst game as a professional where he threw three
1: picks three picks so the fact that they were even in
0: that game is amazing but they still should have probably won uh next up is the browns at texans or i should say the texans at the browns we saw the browns win this one 31 to 21 in a game that i think we both picked correctly yes sir um but, you know, uh, not the best performance by the Browns. I will say that. Um, and that's because of injuries. And we'll get onto to that a little bit later uh, in the, the power injuries. rankings as oh, well. Yeah. But this is one of the teams that they started stacking up for as of this weekend.
1: Yeah, that, that's the issue. And and that, that happened to the Texans as uh, their quarterback went down. So yeah, Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, th- thanks for picking me up there when I was down. Hey, I couldn't think of his name. Did my annual, my weekly brain fart. But yeah, th- this was closer than expected. The Browns stuck in there though. They showed some heart. And as you said, both teams falling out and in, in an injury plagued week two of the NFL, which like you said, we'll get more depth in into as we go
0: and that's exactly the story the next game we saw the Los Angeles Rams defeat the Indianapolis Colts 27 to 24 in a game where Carson Wentz the quarterback for the Colts literally hurt both of his ankles
1: unbelievable and that and that's yeah, just re- uh, a horrible track record we always state it's not like anybody is going out there wanting to get hurt. He's not faking these injuries, but it just shows you a lineage of a, an injury-stricken career after a very successful run at the outset of of playing in Philly and, and going to the Super Bowl, and then you know with with that injury lineage that we're mentioning, had fools take over and win the Super Bowl for Philly that year, even so, it goes all the way back to that. Hey Ed, and now you know a, a terrible injury, and, and of course you hate to see it. All due respect to Carson Wentz, but yeah, double double ankle injury in this one, and and this game was closer than than we had anticipated. With the Rams only going over by about three over the Colts here.
0: Yeah, and I'll be honest with you too. I think the Rams are one of the better teams in the NFL. I think that they're kind of showing early on that their their offense. Yep, we'll see that in the power rankings. Shoot it out with everybody as well, so I think that's what makes them such an, a, an appealing choice for the season too. uh Next up in a game which I definitely got wrong, the Bills would go on to just annihilate the Dolphins, thirty-five to nothing in a game where the Dolphins saw their starting quarterback Tua Tunglivo. That's how I'm just going to say it. We're just going to say Tua got carted out with a rib injury. uh They were completely lost in this game as Buffalo seemed to find their footing and just put 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 the wood on them
1: yeah as I quote Arne Anderson hate you I hate to toot my own horn but toot toot the J did pick the Bills and I I mentioned I was thinking that this was a a rebound week for the Bills Uh, I I definitely not disparaging your hope in the Dolphins and and as always calling out the the great uh, head coach Flores but I I just felt like the Bills who I, I was mentioning a lot of Uh, experts even picked winning the AFC over teams like the Chiefs. So I I figured that they were not going to win. I'm sorry, they were not going to lose in week two, basically no matter what. And they showed it here, uh, giving up no points to the Dolphins.
0: Uh, We also had a big win for the New England Patriots to go one and one this weekend. They beat the Jets 25 to six. Um, An easy win against a mediocre opponent. And uh, I'll be honest, man, the Patriots, even though they won this game 25 to six, still aren't out there doing too much They're, they're, they, You know, the jury's going to be out on them, I think for a little while.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, we, we're going to have to see as the season progresses, but I'm definitely with you there. And and this one, um, I think we both predicted, I'm sorry, hey, I lost my spot. What game? Just so I can look at my sheet.
0: Patriots and Jets, pa- yeah, we both Patriots, picked the yeah, bet, to win Yeah, this of
1: course. One. Yeah, because I mean, you know, the Jets are just so dismal, as we'll see in the power rankings, <laughs> that uh, I just <laughs> don't think they stood a chance. And of course, their their poor uh, young quarterback just having a, uh, abhorrent, as we say here on the show day, uh, just terrible numbers. I think his quarterback rating was like 28 point something.
0: Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, they got a long way to go there in New York for sure. Um, next up, we saw the San Francisco 49ers able to outlast the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia 17 to 11. Uh, this is a game that I thought the Eagles were going to win at home. They were not able to do it. Um, I didn't think either team looked particularly good this week, but uh, this might be closer to what the team is for Philadelphia and uh, the 49ers at two and or oh, uh, you know, I, I'll talk about this a little bit more in my rankings, but like. <laughs> They're high up there, but I have a feeling it's not going to be for long because once they get in there against real contenders, I don't know if they're going to be able to withstand, uh, you know, the, the true talent that some of these other teams have.
1: I'm with you. And it's just another thing where they are. They just, again, they're another one of those teams with their main personnel. Uh, they're not too deep. They have to stay healthy. I mean, they already lost Mostert, who, of course, uh, you would be getting into different segments here in our fantasy. I have on my fantasy team. You know, he's out for weeks. So it's things like that. But, you know, big win over the Eagles. And yeah, we were split there. Uh, you had picked the Eagles. The Jay did get the dub there with picking the 49ers. Uh, but I'm with you. It's going to definitely be week to week with, with the 49ers team. Next up is a game that raises me to ask you a question here the Jay,
0: and I'm talking about the Panthers defeating the Saints 26 to seven. Well, two questions, Ash, actually, what do you think of this Saints team? Uh, Do you think they're, you know, like they're, they're going to have a hard time this year. Do you think this is just a, a bad misstep for them? And also. Are people sleeping on the Panthers at 2-0? Because they haven't had a whole lot of trouble in two weeks.
1: I think people are sleeping on the Panthers. I think that the Saints are going to rebound from this. That, that's my take on okay. it. We did both pick the Saints because that, that was tough to to not predict after their, their blowout win over the Packers in week Green one, of Bay. course. Yep. And, and I think a lot of it rides on Jameis Winston. Of course, there's going to be varying factors, but the, the better Winston plays, and it's a simple way to look at it, uh, but I just stand by that. The better he plays, the more chances the Saints as a team are going to win, obviously, and he didn't play well in this game. On the other hand, which is a great point, had the Panthers didn't have a great year last year, so you're kind of sleeping on them. But they still have McCaffrey. They still have Darnell now. That, that like we said, if he plays to his potential, which he currently is, they're going to be a strong team. They got a solid defense, so I, I like that point. And a good line. And a good line, which is good big as we know, and we'll be into with, yep. <laughs> with Pittsburgh. So so yeah, this <laughs> this team could be can, can be coming up uh, unexpectedly here in the 2021 season.
0: Next up, we have the Denver Broncos defeating the Jacksonville Jaguars 23 to 13. This is kind of a game where I feel like Teddy Bridgewater uh, kind of, you know, it looks like he's going to be a consistent uh, thing for the Broncos this year, which is good. Um, and Jacksonville is just in shambles. I don't think it's much of a surprise. I think we both picked the Broncos to win this one too.
1: We did. And yeah, we correlate with our power rankings. Uh, we're typically not that ridiculously off. Hey, you know, other than some discrepancies here and there, tough to predict some of the stuff, but we're consistent with the Jaguars being the worst team in the league. And we were pretty much saying that in our preseason coverage with, with the college coach coming up in urban Meyer, uh, you know, what could be a really good quarterback, but his rookie year just getting thrown in the fire and just not a lot of good role players there, which which is showing. And uh, yeah, the Broncos uh, pretty steadily with a 23-13 victory, not surprising at all.
0: Next up is the game that I thought might have been the game of the weekend, and I'm talking about the Arizona Cardinals beating the Minnesota Vikings 34-33. to um, I think the cards have what it take to stick with pretty much anybody in the league and I, I think that the Vikings just played really really good uh, this game at least on offense um, but again COVID Kurt man he, he comes up short it's just what he does um, but at the same time man, I just don't think I, I just don't there's problems in Minnesota that go further than football and uh and I just think Arizona's built so like we're going to see them be a contender probably for the remainder of the season.
1: I keep mentioning when we bring up the Cardinals how well balanced they are and that's a huge thing in the modern NFL to have all facets of the game going going balanced. The Vikings are going to put up fights each week but them being on the dub side which is a goal is another story and that's what this shows 34-33, it was tight. It was a great game, as you mentioned, came down to the end. Uh, one quick thing here, which was like a, a little uh, bullet point hay out with the Cardinals, we were talking about Chandler Jones last week uh, with his record setting for the Arizona franchise sack game. Uh, last yep. week having five sacks that's actually John Jones of USC uh, fame's one of his that's NFL his brother. brothers yeah which I didn't yep. fully realize I saw a picture popping up after that standout performance so I did want to call that out on the show that Bones Jones brother uh, is beast mode and this year we're on a really good Cardinals team but yeah really good game uh, but not surprising with the outcome of the cards getting their second of the of the year
0: next up we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Defeating the Atlanta Falcons 48 to 25 in a game, by the way, that it was way closer than what the score indicated. Uh the Falcons stuck around in this one. Um, I didn't think that Tampa played that great this game. They did at the end when it counted, but um, you know, again, I even though I think Tampa's probably the best team in the league right now, um, they that they're beatable. And teams are going to be coming for them because they haven't been playing the greatest teams off the outset with Dallas and, and Atlanta. But um, you know, the teams are going to be coming for them for sure. And I'm talking the better teams in the league, not not the pretenders.
1: I'm with you. Yeah, that, that was a a double get for the what's real team here. We both definitely picked the Bucks on this pretty obvious you know the, the score doesn't say everything like, like you're alluding to hey yeah, but still uh, at the end of the day you're looking at a 48-25 win over the Falcons uh, which we expected the Bucks to do something like that but I'm with you it's going to be interesting to see uh, especially with that added week you know what kind, of, what kind of way that plays into the end of the season with the older guys uh, Brady yep. it's tough to even say anything about him and his conditioning and, and the way he's protected and the, the offensive firepower he has and freaking right with them uh, step for step is ageless tight end of of our high school for a brief year Woodland Hills fame uh, Rob Gronkowski having two touchdowns uh, still being a threat in the red zone so uh, they're fun to watch and keep an eye on but yeah they, they haven't been truly tested yet this year so I'm definitely looking forward to a week that they they do get tested to see how they hold up
0: another game that I got the chance to watch this weekend that I it reminded me like an old school game and I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys uh beating the Los Angeles Chargers 20 to 17 in a game that you know there's plenty of mistakes and stuff like that and uh some pretty good defensive play from two teams you might not expect to uh to do so but uh I was really surprised at how much the quarterbacks were kept in check in this one uh it kind of delivered a little bit game a little bit different of a game than I thought we'd get but uh I do think this Dallas team you know winning this game even playing the way that they played the first week against Tampa Um, I still think Dallas is a, is, is for real. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but they were able to get the win over the chargers team, uh, this week. And I think that, uh, I I know I picked this one. I'm not sure if you did or not, but, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, we were we were split on this one. Hey, you know, you did pick the Cowboys for the dub, and I had the Chargers. But yeah, not not far off. We we predicted this was going to be tight, and that's what it was. I think both of us talking off off air caught a good portion of this game. It was a pretty good game, uh, as you said. The, the uh, quarterbacks on both ends of both uh, teams got stifled uh, with Herbert and, and Dak. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to get the W, and and the Cowboys pulled it off. So kudos to them. And with with Dak healthy. The Cowboys defense is is sticking in there. Only gave up 17 points. Not bad. Chargers got a decent, formidable offense uh, somewhat. So, you know, they're they're an interesting team to follow this year. The Cowboys stemming all the way from hard knocks to the very outset of everything.
0: Yep. I would agree with that as well, the uh, J. Next up, we have maybe one of the biggest surprises of the weekend. And I'm talking the Tennessee Titans coming from way behind. To win this game against the Seattle Seahawks, a team me and the J are both pretty big on in overtime, thirty-three to thirty. Uh, we didn't think that the first week of the Titans was quite indicative of what they were, and uh, you know that this week here proves it because they beat a looks really like. really good Seattle team.
1: Yeah, and, and the comeback, like you said, that's that that showed a lot of heart and showed that they, they wanted to get this win. And, yeah, we both took the L on this, didn't expect uh, this kind of game. And uh, it was another thriller, man. And like we said at the beginning of the segment here, just a crazy week too. So fun to watch, loving the red zone. And this uh, came out to overtime, and the Titans had the, the last strike at the right time, 33-30 win.
0: And another game that was quite the game was on Sunday night. And I'm talking about the Baltimore Ravens, our division rival, was able to outlast the Kansas City Chiefs 36 to 35 in a game which we legitimately, like we called it this season for them, uh, that Lamar Jackson's going to have to put that team on his shoulders if they want to win. And that's exactly what he did Sunday night. They were able to beat the team that previously I thought was the best team in the league.
1: That's what that's what he did. And that's what they did. Hey, you called it. And uh, that, that kind of gave me some sort of redemption for sticking in there with the Ravens. We'll get in a little more in depth talk about that in the power rankings. But yeah, big win. And I loved watching this game. This is why I still love watching football, even when it's not our hometown team, Pittsburgh Steelers. I watched this on Sunday night, the whole game. Uh, Typically, not all the time do I do that just because Monday's brutal, that sort of thing. But I stayed up late for this one, was up the whole time, enjoying it. It was like a great boxing match, dude. The whole, it was such a well-paced game other than the the goddamn commercials, not to diatribe into that live television, which is rare in modern age, brutal, playing with my phone for three and a half hours in in between the plays. But nonetheless, back and forth action the whole time. Amazing plays, great highlights, great football game, great way way to end a crazy week too in in a big upset win from the Ravens.
0: And lastly, on Monday night, and not much of a surprise, uh, a rebound for Aaron Rodgers as the Packers would go on to defeat the Lions 35-17. to uh, Not really a great game or anything like that, although I will say that the Lions are looking better. They do have something sort of building up there, uh, but it's still you know a season away or two seasons away from being anything, so the Packers rolled on this one uh, as expected.
1: Yeah, I mean, not particularly the the biggest Packer fan, you know, specifically, I have no horse in the race with them, but I kind of, it was good to see for me as an NFL fan to see a contender that was looking like crap, you know, not only the first week, but at the outset of that game, you know, if you were watching that, like the beginning, they were kind of sputtering, of course, and stuff. And then the two errands just blowing up. and, And I don't know if you saw, but it was great. Aaron Rodgers basically did a pro wrestling promo afterwards because all the shit he was making after week one with the the trolls and everything else it's absolute horse shit which we say a lot here on the show he said so that was great but uh but yeah yeah good game and um it it just makes the the power rankings uh that much more difficult week two here with with varying different things going on and the packers still being in the mix all right so uh prediction wise the jay how did we look this week so we're stemming from the J coming in eight and eight from week one, and hey, yeah, with a very impressive twelve and four from week one. The J and week two doing a no, bit I was, better. I was fourteen and two in the. Oh, first I'm sorry. Week, were, yeah, me and my <laughs> me and my math. There you go. An, an astounding fourteen and two. So we'll go. change these numbers live on the air as the J does. We're truly professional here. And uh, week two, the J's coming off uh, uh, one game better, but I'm in the win section instead of the five hondo. I came in in week two at nine and seven. Hey, you, And you came in tallied at 10 and six. So beat me again by by just a game this time. So I'm making some leeway. Uh, but that gives my tally uh, through week two with our NFL predictions. The J is 17 and 15. And hey, you, I got to do the math here live on the air for you now. Uh, you would be 24 and eight. All right. Good I'll shit. Great. Oh, it's amazing, man. Good shit. Hell yeah.
0: So, all right. Now the J we move along here uh, before we get into more NFL coverage itself. Let's go into the world of fantasy booking here. So uh, the J this week, as far as fantasy goes, how did you do?
1: Uh, uh, the J is <laughs> coming off a good start, really strong start in both of my leagues, the two teams, the purple headed warriors and the blue dragons were both one and oh. and now are both one and one. Hey, you know, at 500, uh, we'll, we'll get into the breakdowns, but yeah, let's start there. And I'll throw it back at you. Uh, I, I lost both games this week.
0: Yep. I lost as well, uh, by two fucking points. Um, Ooh. so uh, but the good thing is, this is what I'll say. Last week I was in third place, and uh, you know this week I'm in fifth place. So I'm one and one, but I got a total of two seventy one point fifty two points this season. That's a tiebreaker. So uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy in the position that I'm in, and I'm also scheduled to uh, uh, to win this week. So we'll see how that turns out. Because I was supposed to win last week too, but it didn't work. So. Hopefully, we'll do better next week.
1: Yeah, the Blue Dragons in the Rivers Edge League got truly slayed. Hey, you know, very embarrassing. <laughs> My opponent, Juggernaut, uh, going by that name, 167.6 to 86.56. Hey, Ed, just crushed. Tyreek Hill Jeez. had not even six points. Josh Allen for a quarterback did very mediocre. Uh, Galladay in New York, the New York guys j- just hand in hand with Barkley, horrible games. Miles Sanders had less than seven points. Hawkinson, you know, he came in strong on Monday night football. That was about it. Uh, other than Adam Taylor, he had another pretty good game. My kicker hate you. Know, my Miami kicker who I'm dropping had zero points. Yeah, and, I did see that. Uh, and the uh, the Washington defense that going in we thought was a pretty solid defense had three points. I mean, it just is what it is there. And uh, going to the other team here, um, that team's the the famously named Purple Headed Warriors. Uh, that wasn't as bad of a shellacking, but a pretty big one. You did a lot better than me coming within two. Hey, Ed, this one was one eleven point nine to my eighty eight point five. Uh, Patrick Mahomes having a really good game, Um, Hollywood Brown on Sunday night with a really good game. Everybody else on my team completely shitting the bed, and a lot of them are some solid name players. Then you go to my bench, as we talked about with the theme of the actual NFL in week two being very injury heavy, which we'll cover more in the power rankings. The J out of seven guys on his bench in this particular league, five of them have the red, de- not, you know, denoted notes of injuries. Zach Ertz, COVID-19, Gallup on the IR, Mostert on the IR. The J might be in trouble. Hey, you.
0: Yeah. I mean, as far as my team went this week, I got a really big performance of 34.80 points by Aaron Rogers. Uh, AJ Brown killed me from uh, Tennessee with 5.8 points. Uh, Darren Waller didn't do the greatest against the Steelers He only got me 9 points uh, Jarvis Landry got hurt He only got me 1.4 points in this game And that ended up killing me As I lost 127.42 to 120.60 So I lost by 7 points uh, Like I said, not the best performance Not the worst performance I kind of wish I would have been able to get a win Especially since it was so close But uh, not meant to be So I'm 1-1 one and one in the season
1: Yep, one and one around. Very parallel early starts here on the What's Real podcast between our three teams. We all went from across uh, the board third place in fantasy after week one, and now we're all over the place. Uh, I'm I'm all the way to seventh place in uh, the league where the purple headed warriors are in out of ten, and then the uh, blue dragons dropped to fourth place uh, overall. But my like that that league's broken up into two divisions. Hey Ed. And I got lucky because my division so far, I'm still in first place in the division. So in fourth place I overall after like really shitting the bed. But it's so early on, you know how it is. So we'll we'll keep track of everything. It's still still having a blast with the NFL every week in fantasy.
0: All right. So uh we're gonna cover one more segment here before we take a commercial, mainly because my headphones are dying. So that's something fun that I didn't think about this week. We'll get through it. Uh, but but that is the uh the Steelers and the Raiders and uh as i said this, the raiders go on to win 26 to 17 um as we do here on the show there is the good the bad and the ugly um what do we got this week in the good section the j
1: yeah, that's a tough one because you have such a, a bad taste in your mouth from the whole experience. Because we both mentioned off the air and texting as the game was ongoing. I mean, that that was a tough one to watch. I mean, anytime the Steelers even remotely came into it, then the Raiders would just get another lead. You know, towards the end, there is that that nine point lead, which you hate as a football fan, obviously, especially when it's against your team, because you know it's just that that one point sway that makes it a two game a two. Uh, uh, two possession game so that that just sucked they they had that nine point lead you know on and off throughout a lot of the fourth quarter uh, to go to go into the good uh, I would have to say it was good to see just off the bat let's go with Najee Harris uh, when when he did get the ball and him getting his first touchdown um, with knowing how bad their line is and, and still pulling some stuff off I'll say that's a good thing hey yo.
0: Yeah, I thought that Najee was running well. I agree with you. I have him here in my good section, uh, despite his line. Uh, something else, just a quick mention, to Boswell getting the longest field goal in Heinz. Oh, good call. Uh, I forgot all about it, so uh, that was awesome. K- kudos to him on that. And uh, just the, only, the last thing that I have in the good, I have linebackers. Uh, I thought Spillane was putting the wood on guys, Ooh, yeah. so he definitely had a good performance. And I thought that Melvin Ingram did a really, really good job after the TJ Watt injury. So I wanted to give him a little bit of credit, but other than that, I'm done in the good section. The jam. Yeah. Only,
1: only one more good. Hey, Ed, and that was that they did hold uh Las Vegas tight end, Darren Waller, their standout tight end relatively in check. That's a good um, call. You know, yes. he did of course get a big 25 yard reception, which is over two minutes. So he still did, did some dirt, but overall, uh, you know, that again, we're, we're reaching for straws here, unfortunately for the, for the goods and most of the game he was in check. Although that ended up having, uh, the the quarterback throw all over the field. I think, you know, you hit like eight or nine different receivers. So, you know, it's not like Dude, you, that,
0: there's too much good. There and that, D. <laughs> and that brings me to my first bad. The Steelers coverage of Darren Waller was so good. They left everybody else <laughs> they open hand and, hand it. and it absolutely killed their defense. So there you go. There, yeah. That's uh, that's the one. bad
1: w- with you, hey Ed. Uh, just a shout out because I don't have too many here uh, just overall with this game because it was just so mucky. Uh, so it goes hand in hand with our commentary right there, and and I apologize for the brain fart on Derek Carr. I just said the Raiders quarterback, <laughs> Derek Carr. Oh no, uh, that that's that's the bad section for the Steelers, of course, where he had uh, 382 yards and two touchdowns um, midway through the fourth quarter. You know, there's like just he just fucking lit us up lit us up yep uh
0: in the bad for me this week is ben um he said after the game that he was so disappointed because he had never he's preparing more this year than he ever has before and that's a bad sign because (laughs) if he's doing more preparation now than he's ever done before that means the problem is he can't play anymore he said he eats better than tom brady yeah, well, I don't believe that. But no. that's a whole other thing to to be said. But yeah, I, Ben gets my first one in the bad section. I I just have two other well uh, basically two other things here. Uh the play calling. Uh I hate the play calling so far. If this is what Matt Canada's offense is. Um he was the wrong candidate for offensive coordinator. I don't I'm not trying to act like I have no faith in the guy, but um so far what I've seen has not been impressive at all. And they're playing for, you know, both games so far the season, they were playing from behind. And that's not a good place for the Steelers to play from. I'd like to see them actually get a game plan to get a lead, um, not playing from behind. So that's where I'm at in the bad section for this week. Do you have anything else there, Jay?
1: I was gonna say we could just get it going, man, because we gotta save those headphones. I just got my two uglies. Hey Ed, so I'll yeah, throw it my, at you and let hold you on wrap one up. Second here. And the two uglies
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> because my headphone just died on me. So now you're basically uh on a speakerphone. So all right. hold on here. Okay, now you're good. Go ahead. all,
1: all professional here. At the What's Real podcast, but my my two uglies for sure. Hey, yeah, uh, were indefinitely what you were saying. It goes hand in hand. Is just the fact that it feels like the Steelers went from that terrible postseason performance against the Browns and shitting the bed, pretty much sputtering into the playoffs at the end of the year after the eleven and zero start, and just it is rinse and repeat with the offense. They're like the same identical offense yep. as they were when they sucked last year. That is a huge ugly, and it's scary this early on in the season which also brings up my second and final ugly and last remaining commentary on this game. Hey, Ed, the ugly is the fact that the Steelers' defense through week two is completely beaten up. And I know that uh, I think it was Hayden or Fitzpatrick saying there's no excuses for injuries. That's the NFL. The The Raiders have injuries too. Uh, Jacobs, their big running back, didn't didn't play against us and things like that. I get all that. It doesn't change the fact that we have just huge injuries this early on from multiple players on defense. That's an ugly to me.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I wrote here the Watt injury, uh, but that leads me into kind of what you were saying. Uh, This defense, without its starters, they can't perform the defense. They just—they're not effective. It doesn't work. They—they're—it's—it's it's like trying to run your car with two tires. Like that doesn't work. It's going to be a problem because it's going to weigh you down when on those other two tires. That's the problem here, um, and it kind of leads me into this too. The offense is killing the team. And I don't mean just killing the team because they're not scoring enough points. They're they're making the defense spend too much time out on the field. Like last year, um, it it yeah, it's dragging the defense down, and it's starting to to bleed into other areas, man. And with that, it, that kind of goes this too. Ben's accuracy and his downfield throws. I don't understand what they're doing here. Um, he doesn't seem to be on the point with any throws anymore. Um, and I don't like the usage of of. Uh, chase Claypool in the offense it's like the only way he can catch a ball is if he's jumping up the air to get it i don't understand having him not run other routes that they can easily throw to him Uh, like remember last season he did that slant route all year and they're not even running it with him anymore they're doing it with juju now it's it's like they don't understand their own offense and what they should be and it's causing so many other problems here, uh, as far as that goes. And just the final ugly that I have for the Steelers is the Trey Turner spitting uh, incident, which is just stupid. Uh, apparently, a player spit on him first. He's the one that got ejected. And uh, and also too, something else I wanted to mention. Uh, whenever Joe Hayden's not with the secondary, the secondary is just completely like they're the glue is falling off. Oh, yeah. Yep. They don't know what they're doing. And this isn't a good or bad or ugly for me. Um, it's just something that I put a starred notation to mention on the show. And uh, this is just the bottom line for me. They they should cut Eric Ebron. There's no point in having him on this team anymore. He's clearly not even the starting tight end. Um, he doesn't block well. Um, he doesn't fit into the offense. And that's a roster spot and a decent amount of money that they could save by just getting rid of him. Uh, I don't see a point of even keeping him on the team at this point.
1: I agree. I agree. There's that early play early on where Ben pulled off that Ben magic. He does keeping the play alive was like falling down through this crazy pass and Ebron and, you know, it wasn't the easiest catch he's diving, but it hit him in the hands and he's become stone hands from necessary roughness, fame, like just dropping everything. So I'm with you. I mean, I, I wouldn't care less if they dropped him.
0: Yeah. So there you go. A pretty ugly, game in general from the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, I don't know how you're feeling that Jay we got to go into this week against the Bengals um, Ben is currently questionable along with everybody else that we've already talked about it looks like uh, Tyson Alu Alu uh, is going to be done for the season most likely or at least done for a significant amount of games I don't know if you saw this or not, the Jay, the Steelers have signed Taco Charlton to the practice squad, which I actually think is a pretty decent sign considering with who's out there right now. I'm glad that they did that move. I just hope that we see a better Taco Charlton than we've seen the last time he was on the field for the Miami dolphins. We are going to
1: hope Tomlin and his coaches pull the infamous, not infamous, the famous Belichick, you know, taking a kind of misfit toy and with potential and, and, turning them into their full potential and giving their career resurgence here in Pittsburgh.
0: And dude, I got to ask you this question. It's just one more thing that I want to know here before we, we go to the commercial break. Do you think it's time that maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers go seek some outside help for that offensive line? Uh, Which I know is kind of a a desperate move, but I think desperate times call for desperate measures and it's going to be a long year that Ben Roethlisberger is probably not going to make it through if this continues.
1: No, he's been getting crushed. I think he was knocked down at least seven times and he has a hurt peck now, as you mentioned, he's hurt. So, uh, and it's week two. So, yeah, I mean, but again, if, if they don't have guys there now, then I don't know where they're going to find them, but if they can find somebody, we're, we're calling for you. I'm completely with you. We need the help for sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, hopefully next week, it'll be a little bit better against the Cincinnati Bengals, but, uh, we will talk about that of course, uh, in a little while here. Uh, so we will be back as we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast.
1: Hey, Yins, guys, this is the J from the What's Real podcast for our official sponsor, Churchill Pictures. Churchill Pictures is a Pittsburgh-based film production company founded by Damiano Fusca and Jared Bajoris. Check out ChurchillPictures.com for all kinds of information about the company and their work. The website contains dozens of videos, including short films, movie previews, comedy sketches, the entire documentary, UCW, The Greatest Show You Never Saw, exclusive independent pro wrestling matches. Matches, links to view or purchase their two feature films deference and the unsung the entire history of the what's real podcast the film city podcast and so much more check out churchhillpictures.com today and also check out the official churchill pictures youtube channel search for churchill pictures and please subscribe also follow churchill pictures on all social media including facebook twitter and instagram churchill pictures picture the possibilities What's Real NFL Power Rankings? And
0: we're back. And it is time to continue our NFL coverage with our weekly power rankings as we do here on the show. And as we do the J, would you like to start us out? Who is the worst team in the league? I think we both probably have the same one this week.
1: Yeah, because returning straight from the Everglades, it's Billy Joe and the Gators. So let them bring it in here. Here we come to Jacksonville. That's right. It's still the Jacksonville Jaguar dump fire.
0: Yeah. Same here. And I don't know if there's any more room in here, but uh, at least for me anyway, you could bring in the symphony if you want, because guess who I have at 31 this week.
1: Harold. <clears throat> Oh, and, and returning to this week, hey, y'all, is the punk band as well, because they threw in their thing at the end. So we always had that unique mix between the symphony okay.
0: and the punk band. So nice to see them back,
1: actually. Yeah. New York. New York sucks ass.
0: There we go. Hey, yeah. Yeah, the the Jets are terrible. So that's that we're we're right on the money here with each other's list here. And at 30 this week, let's see if it remains the same. This is where I have the Atlanta Falcons.
1: All right. I put the uh, the Lions here because they'll stick around. They do some stuff, but I just still think they're in the dumps. I'm not too far behind you with where I put the Falcons, but that's where I'm at right now with the Lions.
0: Okay. At 29 this week, this is where I have the Houston Texans.
1: All right. And, of course, that is where I have the Falcons.
0: And at 28, where I have the Lions that you already
1: mentioned. Okay. And that's where I have the Tackins, The Texans. (laughs) It's just a, (laughs) a, a shuffle of the shit here in the bowels of the What's Real podcast power ranking.
0: All right. At 27 this week, this is where I have the New York football Giants. We're on point there. All right. And at 26, this is where I have the Minnesota Vikings.
1: Okay. We're starting to vary a bit. This is where I dropped the Cincinnati Bengals.
0: And at twenty five is where I have the Bengals because they beat the Vikings last week. That's the only reason why I give them the the spot. A little above.
1: bit of credit, yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at. My twenty five is the Bears. Okay, at twenty four this week, I have the
0: Philadelphia Eagles falling
1: again. Okay, I have them a bit higher than you. So a little bit of a discrepancy. Nothing crazy. They'll be coming up at twenty four. I dropped uh, the guys that are led by the man that you're so fond of. Hate you, know, the Minnesota Vikings at twenty four.
0: All right. COVID and the Vikings can't get out of the twenties and at 23, this is where I have the Chicago bears. Isn't that funny how that worked out? Chicago 23.
1: Yep. And we're similar all around um, just with a little bit of shuffling. So it shows we're kind of on point, you know, not making shit up here. Uh, but at 23 is where I put the kind of mediocre, you know, capable, but not uh, especially now with the big quarterback injury with Carson Wentz Colts.
0: And that's who I have at 22 this week is the Annapolis Colts.
1: Makes sense. I have the Washington football team who's not doing what we fully expected. Of course, the big injury uh, off the bat to Fitzpatrick uh, playing a big part in that. But the defense not coming through as big as we might have thought. But, yeah, 22's Washington for the J.
0: And 21's where I have Washington
1: all right yeah similar here uh this is a team i dropped because they just were so shitty this week <laughs> and Tua got put out um i know you're fond of them but the jays lucky number 21 uh, a team i i loved growing up because florida was my second home i had the dolphins
0: and at 20 this week is where i have the los angeles chargers falling after losing to the Dolph or to the uh cowboys
1: okay another discrepancy there i got them pretty high um At 20, I have the Eagles that you already named. That was like a four-team discrepancy between us there.
0: Okay, this week at 19, I have a team that could go either way, but they just seem to be failing to me. And believe it or not, this is wild to say, but this is where I have the New England Patriots.
1: Okay, um they're coming up, but it's similar line of thinking, which I it's tough to to place them and just how they performed, and that's again, it's weekly power rankings. I, I hope people that are fully listened understand kind of how we look at the league. It goes by week, of course. Uh nineteen, I dropped the New Orleans Saints that last week I had pretty high coming off a big win.
0: All right. Next up is number eighteen. This is where I have the Dallas Cowboys.
1: All right, so this is a team that's coming up uh, to us uh, both. We talked about, and you haven't named them yet, so you have them higher than than I. Uh, I have at 18 the Carolina Panthers right now.
0: All right, and at 17 is where I have the Saints.
1: Okay, this is where I put the Chargers that you already named. All right, and at, let's see, 16 is where I have
0: the Carolina Panthers. Okay, this is where I have the Patriots.
1: Then we go to the Miami Dolphins. Okay, this is where I put the Cowboys did make the top 15.
0: And at 15 is where I have the Pittsburgh Steelers this week.
1: Okay, I just have the Steelers a little bit higher than you I'll get to them. At 14, I have the Tennessee Titans.
0: And that's where I have the Broncos this week.
1: So that makes sense because I have the Bronx at 13.
0: And I have the Raiders at
1: 13. Okay, and this is where I put the Steelers at the 1-2. Hey, yo. All right, next up is
0: the Seattle
1: Seahawks. All right, 11. Right before the top 10, uh, this is where I put the Raiders. It's kind of my line of thinking. I didn't know really where to put the Steelers. I dropped them to 12 for now. That unfortunately could possibly change pretty drastically. The Raiders beat them. The Raiders are at 11 on the Jays' power rankings. Okay. And
0: now we get into the top 10, the Jay. Who do you have this
1: week coming in at number 10? A team we both like. Hey, Ed, that I keep saying one of the most balanced teams currently going in the early stage of the NFL's 2021 regular season. The Arizona Cardinals are my 10th team.
0: Wow. Okay. This is where I have the Ravens this week. Remember how low they were on my list? I know. They well, in Kansas City, they're in the top 10 right and now.
1: And that's making sense because they're even higher on the Jays because the Jay was sticking with them. So we'll get to that. Uh, at number nine, I have the San Fran 49ers. We, we broke them down earlier. They're a kind of up in the air team. But right now, I think that's a good spot for them where I sit.
0: And staying in the same places last week because they
1: just, to me, didn't
0: beat the Texans convincingly enough. They won the game, so they're going to stay here. This is where I have the Cleveland Browns.
1: Yeah, somewhat uh, similar line of thinking here with my number eight uh, because they lost, but it was a tight game. Uh, they were ahead a lot of the game too, but it's a team that can be formidable that they lost to, and that was the Seattle Seahawks and you know, losing to Tennessee uh, in overtime. All right. At number eight this week,
0: I have moving back up into the top ten. This is where I have the Green Bay Packers. All
1: right. You want to switch it back on track hey, and throw
0: us your seven? Number seven. And again, this is week to week power rankings. This is just because what they've done, I'm not really even that impressed with them. And I have a funny feeling they're going to be falling mightily here, but at seven is where I have the San Francisco 49ers. All right.
1: And this is where I
0: ended up putting the Cleveland Brownies. All right. And before we get into the top five, this is a team that I had rated pretty highly and then dropped them down, you know, and and said that, like, if they don't get it done this week, they're going way down. But they did get the job done in grand fashion. So at number six this week, I have the Tennessee Titans.
1: OK, and similar line of thinking with a different team, the horseshit spewing Aaron Rodgers led Packers.
0: All right. So here we go into the top five. The J at number five this week, I have the Buffalo Bills.
1: Great minds. It's a great minder. Buffalo Bills at five for the J as well. And at number four, falling out of the top three for me, is the team last week that I
0: had number one. This is where I have the Kansas City Chiefs this week.
1: It's another great minder. I had the Chiefs at two, remember. Um, So, yeah, I dropped them the four as well.
0: And now we do the top three, and it's going to be wildly different here. So I'm very curious to see. So the J... Hit us with your top 3 this week.
1: Yeah, so man, this is what's cool and wow, did it swing and this the big discrepancy so far between hey Ed and the J has been the Ravens. The J kind of thinking they are Ooh. better than they're looking and and hey Ed kind of saying, you know, seeing their holes. So we'll see how it keeps going. That's why it's fun. I have the Ravens at 3. I have the Rams at 2 and I kept the Bucks where I had them last week, still at 1. The way it's looking after week 2 to the J.
0: All right, so here's how it breaks down for me. Uh, there's only one team discrepancy, and you'll see that here in a moment. So, at three this week, this is where I have the Los Angeles Rams, at number two, I have the Arizona Cardinals, and at number one is where I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, this is Interesting, the J. Yes,
1: and as often as we are with some teams, I mean, I'm with you. I, I I'm high on the Cardinals. You know, you look at it in different ways, and it's so early and it's opinion-based. But uh, you know, can't argue with with either of our lists, man. It's how we see the NFL from week to week, and that's why we do it.
0: Absolutely. So uh let's get ready before we take our uh next commercial break. The Jay, we're gonna break down week three and make some predictions. So let's get to it. First up is the hometown team. Do you think the Pittsburgh Steelers get it done
1: against the Cincinnati Bengals, the Jay? Uh, this is gonna be an admitted homer pick on the What's Real podcast because this one could go either way. Uh, you know, going by our power rankings, we both still have the Bengals kind of down there, but we've also been saying in the breakdowns, man, they're they're a capable team. At times, the Steelers are really struggling between their offensive line woes, their injury woes. Ben's dealing with a pec injury already at 39 years old and getting slammed around already through two weeks, especially last week. All that said, I'm sticking with the Steelers at home, getting, getting things done with the Bengals.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you there, but as I'm looking at this, I'm seeing what the line is and it's four and a half points. uh, The Steelers are favored. If you're betting, man, I'll be honest, take the Bengals and the points. But I do think the Steelers win this game. It's going to be super close. And if a lot of these Steeler injuries don't improve over the next week, that could really change. So keep in mind, we're also going with the fact that we think that we're not going to be without everybody that's currently on the injured list. Because if we were, I think the Bengals beat us this week, unfortunately. But I'm going to pick the Steelers with you there, the J. Next up is the Carolina Panthers going to Houston to play the Texans. I don't know about you, the Jay, but I'm picking the Panthers this week to go 3-0. Yeah,
1: I mean, the Texans, they, they kind of showed something with Tyrod Taylor, but I don't know the extent of his injury at this point. What's the latest word, hey, Ed? Is he completely out? I didn't see really anything I'm on it I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't
0: think it matters, but, I yeah, I don't think he's playing. And they did mention – that uh, there is no plan to activate Deshaun Watson. So that situation continues to get weirder, too, as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, but but again, I think the deciding factor for the J here, not only the Texans um, and, and the Bowls, as we call it, of the Row Power Rankings for a reason, but the Panthers, as we said, could be a sleeper team the way it's looking. So I'm with you. I'm in concurrence. I'm going with the Panthers in this one. All right, next up,
0: we have the Washington football team. At the Buffalo Bills, what do
1: you think about this one, the Jay? Hey, I said the Bills were going to swing back this week. Uh, the Steelers defense played lights out in week one. Josh Allen didn't like look like Josh Allen. Then in week two, he wasn't playing the Steelers defense. He's playing Washington, or I'm sorry, he was playing Miami. I'm staring at the Washington title here, and, and he did. He looked uh, back to form. I'm going with the Bills in this one.
0: All right. Uh, and yeah, I do agree with you on that one. I think the Bills win this game. Um, I don't think it's going to be an easy game, but I definitely think they win. Um, next up, we have the Cleveland Browns playing the Chicago Bears. Um, I just think the Browns have their shit together significantly more than the Bears do. Um, but they, they have a lot of injuries. Um, it's going to be closer than people think, but I do think the Browns get it done in this one.
1: That That's what sways me. I would just instantaneously say Browns, I'm with you, but the injuries uh, piling up there in Cleveland right now. So uh, that could be a factor, but I'm still going to stick with them in the way they're playing so far against the Bears team that's all over the place as we've been through. I'll go with the Browns. So far, we're four for four in concurrence. concurrency.
0: All right. Next up, we have the Ravens taking on the Lions. I have a funny feeling this is going to be a kind of a trap game for the Ravens here but uh, I think at the end, they they able to stumble their way past the finish line uh, just with Lamar Jackson, who the the Lions are not going to stop at all. Uh, and I think the Ravens roll in this one.
1: We're we're keeping it up here, staying parallel. I'm with you. You know me, kind of weirdly champion the Ravens. Uh, I think just because of our discrepancy, I'm trying to prove myself right to you. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm just fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I still think they pull this one off.
0: All right. Next up here we have... The Colts taking on the Titans. What do you think here, the J?
1: See, this one, this is a tough one because the Colts, like I said, they're like one of those wishy-washy teams, but look what they're doing. But, again, the problem is uh, with uh, Wentz not being able to stay healthy, you know, and that their backup quarterback, uh, I couldn't even tell you offhand. So uh, all that said, in the way the Titans are kind of swinging back at home, I got to stick with Tennessee. I just have to on this.
0: Yeah, I think the injuries are too much for for Indy and uh the Titans seem like they're going to be you know where they need to be. So I think the Titans are going to win that one as well. Uh next up, the Chargers going into Kansas City to play the Chiefs and what could possibly be the worst time to play them after such a heartbreaking loss last week. I think the Chiefs get it done uh and beat the Chargers handily uh this week. And I think the Chargers are good, but I think the Chiefs are going to come out firing.
1: Yeah, I'm going to the Chiefs at home after a loss. Deciding factors, they're, they're going to win this. But this could be a good game. I don't see the upset, though.
0: Speaking of bounce back, I think the Saints do it in the next game against New England in New England. Um, I don't think the Patriots have enough to beat the Saints, uh, and I think that Alvin Kamara is going to kind of have a bounce back game from what he did last week as well, and the Saints win this one.
1: I hope so. Hey, yeah, he's on my struggling one of my struggling fantasy teams. I need them to bounce back speaking of that. Uh but I'm going to go go different not not just to do it. I, I think this could be an upset uh especially if the Saints kind of carry over their woes from last week. Uh, I'm with you. It could go either way if they bounce back the Saints have this, but I'm going to go on with the uh go with the Patriots here. Okay. Next up with the
0: Atlanta Falcons taking on the New York City Giants. And what do you think about this one,
1: Jay? I'm going to go with the Giants in this one. Hey, you know.
0: OK, I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to pull the upset in this one. Um, I think the Giants are primed for another uh, loss, and I think the Falcons are going to kind of get it together for one week, especially against this defense that New York has. Uh, this one, I don't even think is going to be a question. We got the Cardinals at the Jaguars, and I think the Cardinals are going to stop them pretty good.
1: Again, that would make our power rankings look like shit this week if something crazy happened there. And anything can happen in professional football in the NFL, but not thinking it with, again, such a well-balanced, high-powered offensive team with the Cardinals. I'm definitely sticking to the Cardinals on this.
0: We have the New York Jets taking on the Denver Broncos in Denver. And I think after this one, the J, it's pretty safe to say the Broncos are probably going to stay undefeated.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Broncos are kind of the somewhat of a surprising team this year. So uh, let's stick with it. I'm with you. The Jets are at the bottom of the barrel. So I'm not going to think that that's going to be any sort of an upset.
0: Next up is a game that I thought would have been a really good one. uh, But with some of the injuries and things that are going on, I really don't know. Uh, I'm talking about the Dolphins at the Las Vegas Raiders. What do you think about this one, the
1: Jay? The thing is, after watching both uh, of the Raiders' first games, because I watched Week One uh, them being in prime time in that great game yep. in overtime against uh, Baltimore, and then of course watching the catastrophe as a Steeler fan uh, beating the Steelers at home in their home opener, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Raiders on this one. As you said, with Tua being uh, you know bruised ribs and banged up, uh, I just don't think they stand a chance in Miami.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think the Raiders win this one as well. Uh, I'll tell you what, here's one thing that I, I don't know how good the Raiders are, uh, to be honest with you and what they're going to do this season, but I'll tell you what, man, they're going to remain a tough out because one thing I could tell you from the two games I watched is the Raiders don't quit. They just keep coming and coming and coming and coming, and that's a good sign for that team. Uh, especially considering they've been, you know, mediocre to bad the last few years, and since John Gruden got there, uh, it seems like they're starting to figure some
1: stuff out there in Vegas. And give give credit to Derek Carr. You know, everybody's talking him up. Hopefully yeah, he's not jinxed, yep. and nothing crazy happens. But he, it looks like this could finally be the year that everything goes right for him.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there, the Jay. Next up, we have probably the marquee matchup, or one of the top marquee matchups for the weekend, and I'm talking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Los Angeles Rams. And I've said this before. I think I've said this to you off the air, too. I think the Rams have the firepower to contend with the Bucs, and I think that they have a good enough defense to at least give the Bucs some problems. So that's why this weekend I'm picking the Rams over the Bucs, Jay.
1: All right, we'll split. Hey, Ed, I'm going to stick to my guns with my power rankings. Uh, I have the Bucs as the best team in the league. So I'm going to think they pull this through. It's going to be a great game. Uh, these last four games we're covering here in Week Three are all some some interesting matchups. We'll be through it. This is the first of them. Uh, I'm going with the Bucks. Okay. Next up, we have the Seattle Seahawks
0: and the Minnesota Vikings. What do you think about this one?
1: See, this is a tough one. You know, the Seahawks. You can't discredit them just for having their one loss. Uh, giving up a big lead, though, is kind of concerning. You know, but again, a capable Titan team that might be. Uh, turning things around this year early. So uh, not anything to get too crazy about the Vikings. We talked about it. They stick in games, they compete, but it just doesn't seem like they pull through. This one truly is another one that could go either way. Uh, Seahawks playing away as well, but I'm going to stick with them, man. I'm always big on the Seahawks. Russell Wilson cooking. I'm sticking with the Seahawks. Hey, y'all.
0: Same here. I agree with you wholeheartedly. They're the J. And on Sunday night, we have the Green Bay Packers going to San Francisco to play the 49ers. And I think that the Packers are going to continue to roll. And we're going to see the uh, first loss of the season here for the 49ers. Jay, what do you think?
1: All right, I'll split it up. I'll, I'll think, you know, again, this is a tight one. Uh, but with my rankings and, and how close these two teams are, Packers... Still having that bad taste in my mouth from week one, even though they came back like gangbusters in week two. If I can pronounce that here on the what's Real podcast, I'm going with the 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll split it 49ers for the J. All
0: right. And the last game of the weekend is on Monday night and it's a battle of NF or NFC East uh, rivals. And that is the Philadelphia Eagles travel to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. What do you think about the Monday night game, the i
1: I'm sticking with the Cowboys at home on this one. I think the Eagles, they show semblances of being able to compete with some of the mid-tier NFL teams. But the Cowboys, with Dak going like he is, I'm sticking with Dak and the Cowboys on this one.
0: Yep. I completely agree with you there. I think the Dallas Cowboys win this game. Uh, it's going to be a good game because of course it's always, you know, uh, it always is with this division, um, but it is what it is. So there you go. And uh, that is our, uh, concludes our coverage of the NFL for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break and whenever we come back, we're going to be talking our final Thursday night prime of the season and uh, by the way, we're clear. We have uh, just to let you guys know we were ready this week. There's, I I didn't get the final count. I quit counting after about two hundred. There's two hundred ninjas out here lining the property. Uh, we have uh, I don't know. Is Cam still in the tank? Is Cam man in
1: the tank? Oh, he's, he's chilling. In he tank. got the he got the little general hat on. Oh, in a cigar. What up, Cam?
0: Okay, I see him down there. He's see him waving. All right, so we're good. So I'm not even worried about it this week, man. So uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and whenever we come back, we're going to have some Thursday Night Prime. This time we're talking best of the best from 1989 with Eric Roberts and James Earl Jones and quite the cast. So hold on, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Saturday night, October 16th at 7pm at Marx's Court Time in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. IWC presents Super Indy 20. With front row seats starting at $40, second row for $30, and general admission for $25. VIP includes early admission and the seat in the reserve section closest to the ring. Also, you can watch Super Indy 20 live on the Fight app and IWC Network. Saturday, October October 16th at 7 p.m. International Wrestling Cartel's Super Indy 20.
1: It's time for Thursday Night Prime.
0: And we're back, and it is time for the final uh, best of the best. I should say best of the best. It's the final Thursday Night Prime. Uh, for quite a while, I'd say probably at least a month, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how the rest of the year shakes out. But today we go back to 1989 and talk about Robert Radler's Best of the Best. Uh, so, of course, it's not—it's weird how this works out, too. The J. Uh, Robert Radler also directed Best of the Best two. Uh, he also directed The Substitute three, which is weird because the other day I actually watched The Substitute. For the first time, that's Barringer. Long time, yeah, that's the yeah. one with Behringer. It's pretty good, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was surprised to see the correlation. Uh, of course, the best of the best stars none other than Eric Roberts. Uh, it also introduced at least me anyway to Philip Ree, who plays the Tommy character. James Earl Jones is in this, Sally Kirkland's in it. Chris Penn, who uh, I'm always a big fan of, oh, yeah. uh, especially I watched Reservoir Dogs like a couple weeks ago, too. Um, And a lot of different, uh, you know, character actors that that show up in this one as well. And also, I don't know if you notice, uh, do you know what this movie has in in common, the J? There's two things this movie has in common uh, with the Friday the 13th series. And do you know what they are? No, that's a good call. I have no idea. During the bar fight scene. Oh, Kane Hodder. uh, uh, Let me, me get one. And uh, there's a woman in the movie played by Melanie Kinneman, who is uh, Pam from Friday 13th part five. So just two very weird uh, connections. And also we get a, a cameo in this one with uh former NFL wide receiver and broadcaster, Ahmad Rashad. Yeah. I forgot all doing, about that until uh, he
1: pops up with the commentary. The
0: broadcasting. And he looks <laughs> yeah. different too. He has a mustache and everything. And I'm yeah. like, he plays himself. So that's bizarre. But, uh, <laughs> Basically, here's the best of the best. Uh, A team from the United States is going to compete against uh, Korea in a Taekwondo tournament. The team consists of fighters from all over the country. Can they overcome their rivalry and work together to win? Uh, And of course, we're introduced to James Earl Jones playing Frank, the team coach. Uh, Eric Roberts plays Alex Grady, who's like the grizzled veteran of the team. Philip Ree plays Tommy Lee who is a really good fighter, but uh, of course has been discouraged because of the death of his brother in in fights like this. Uh, Sally Kirkland plays a uh, female Taekwondo uh, coach, I guess you could say, that's brought onto the team. Chris Penn plays Travis Buckley, like the ignorant redneck of the team. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is this movie definitely has some budget shortfalls, but besides that, they managed to get a lot of stuff right here.
1: Yeah, I always this was you know, we always say, but it, it is what it is. Another one I haven't visited in a while, but this was kind of like our you know, I don't know how to put it, like not our generation, but like our circle of friends at least, you know, like our our guys growing up, one of our classics, you know, I always shout out K Close, yeah. you know, somebody that I was grew up movie watching with and shout out Guillermo as well. You know, your man Guillermo as well. And, 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 and you hate, you know, best of the best. And that's why it's on Thursday night prime. It fits, fits right into everything. But yeah, it's just uh, been a while since I revisited it, even though I, this is one of the ones I've seen a bunch of times in the past. So I, I was looking forward to, it. I was glad you, you threw it on there. Cause we were planning on doing this a while ago and it wasn't on a streaming service until it popped up on uh, HBO max. So we decided like, let's, let's go for it. So I was interested to see, you know, as always the, kind of modern J's take on it after it's been a decade plus of watching it. And it definitely still holds up. Uh, It was slower at parts than, than I might've remembered Uh, things like that, you know, the little stupid shit. But other than that, man, the, the fight scenes are great. Uh, You know, coming off of Chuck Norris's back-to-back weeks on Thursday Night Prime with his missing in action movies, it was uh, a good feeling to see some solid fights, to be honest. Yeah, and a nice little
0: palate cleanser, to say the least. Yes, I, I kind of,
1: and you know what, I kind of like it
0: too, because this one wasn't so much like, you know, what you'd think, like you'd probably think if you saw this movie that like all these dudes end up going to fight like some Korean army or it's like, no, it's just, it's a fight competition movie. Um, it has a lot, uh, in common with the karate kid. It also has a lot. And dude, I never, this is, this was a revelation to me. And I don't know if you're going to understand what I mean here. I think you'll get it though. This is the first time I watched best of the best. And I realized what inspired them to make this movie. And do you know what
1: movie it was? Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, because you already named the Karate Kid, because that that was the parallel off the bat I saw. So uh, throw it at you. Hey, yeah, not off the top of my head. Rock,
0: Rocky Four.
1: Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Even with though the montages not, and everything,
0: it's not Russia. It's Korea. They make them kind of look like you know, like they're out there training in the snow. They have all these you know things to their advantage to make them good, and you know, and then you have like this ragtag group of Americans like trying to put it all together, you know. Uh, And I never realized that until I watched it this time, but I was like, dude, this movie and even the music too, like you could tell that uh, the Rocky movies were definitely inspiration for this musically, visually, uh, a lot of the training montages and things like that were definitely, you know, they, they, it's weird too, because, and this is the first time I've seen a movie uh, that really does this, but it has like a dual main character. And I, th- I feel like they did that on purpose. Yeah, it's, it's like a good card. Robert's uh, character is done for Western audiences, and the Philip Reed character is done for Eastern audiences. And I think that's kind of like it makes it, you know, like an all purpose kind of martial arts movie. And I, I didn't really even think about that until I watched it this time. So I thought that was pretty
1: cool. Yeah, because of course, the biggest thing that swayed the J was the, the classic thing from Karate Kid, of course, is the montage with you're the best around oh yeah and, and best yeah. of the best has their version where i can't even do it or fully remember it but it's like because you're the best of the beer you know that, we'll that shit's it. it's always cracking me up
0: I bring up Letterboxd again. A uh, dude named Will wrote this review. I'm not going to read the whole review, but he had, a, he had a little thing that I thought was perfect. Nothing but dudes rocking, working out, and getting stronger together, set to music that tells you exactly what they're thinking and doing on screen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was like the, the first scene where they all come together. They do the tryouts, and the team gets picked, and James Earl Jones is the coach, and he has them all in the locker room, and he does the, the best you know best voice of all times, James Earl Jones gets all their attention and he says your your mind for three months no drinking no women no nothing but eating competition you know eating breathing and shitting competition he even says but then he's like but tonight is your last night go get laid basically <laughs> and you know, and yeah. also basically like and the, the chicks around here are, are picky so good luck you fucking goofs <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then they proceed to go to the
1: bar and that scene was hilarious the italian dude dude, the buddhist all the characters dude that's one
0: of my favorite scenes in the whole movie oh for sure that's a great yeah great fight scene yep it's you know it's like like the dudes don't get along on purpose but they get along when it comes to outsiders yeah it's almost like our group of friends in a (laughs) yes and and dude the thing is like it's really weird to say this because Now, if you would have told me this, knowing what I knew like just a few weeks ago, right? If you said like you're going to review the first two missing in action movies and then you're going to do best of the best. I always remembered best of the best is not being nearly as good as the second one. And I always thought the, the missing in action movies were pretty decent. It's the complete opposite. It's like the missing in action movies were terrible to sit through. And this one was actually kind of fun. Like it wasn't to be And the thing that I think made me like this one more than I have, like even in past viewings is it is corny, right? But it doesn't take itself super seriously. So it's like it doesn't. It's not as cringy it as it would be exactly like there's a little bit of humor. There's some good fight scenes. I felt like the whole storyline with Eric Roberts and his son felt a little tacked on and kind of needless, but for some reason they felt a need to make that character more sympathetic. So that's why they did it. And it doesn't waste a bunch yeah, his of his wife time, died so He's a widow. Yeah, it didn't offend me that much. It was kind of like, yeah, that just kind of felt tacked on. And this movie isn't perfect, but dude, the one thing too that I really give this movie credit for is they tried to do something really different with the ending, and I like that about this. Oh, that movie. always that
1: sticks with you as a kid. It I does. always remember it,
0: that. it it really puts a and and I think that dude. And I don't know, you know, not to go too far off on a tangent. Have you ever seen Circle of Iron? Oh, oh yeah. it's the David Carradine movie that was it was originally written by Bruce Lee. Yep. Oh yeah, of course. It's like on Blu-ray. That that one is way more about a sense of enlightenment and things like that, but I love that movie, right? And I really like this movie because it's more of a sense of like doing the right thing and your teammate, it's a good sportsmanship movie, which is really bizarre for Thursday night prime, but it's amazing how it works out. And I won't exactly spoil the ending because I think that like, if you watch the movie, you kind of deserve to get that. And I think it's a lot better than what people might realize
1: that's what i was going to mention too in your comparisons which were spot on to the karate kid and the rockies as you know specifically rocky four is that it all leads you know it's a very entertaining well-paced movie leading to a climax as we always say you always want to be left with a good taste in your mouth like th- those are the best movies those are the ones that stick with you when the ending's not shitty and th- these are the type of movies that the whole climax is built up to that end. And that's, that's exactly what you're alluding to, to of course the end face off between team Korea's karate team versus team USA. Uh, as, as I've been doing here, Hey, on the Thursday night uh, prime segment as uh, kind of a recent tradition here on the show, throwing the IMDB uh, trivia at you. This one was a cool one for best of the best MMA legend, Chuck Liddell names best of the best as his favorite martial arts movie. Hey, yo. Okay. Yeah, I can see. I still,
0: uh, dude, I'm dying to watch the second one now. Well, that's the one they, see they. If it holds
1: up, like you were mentioning before, how like you know, it, it it's it's like not crazy. It's the karate tournament, of course, with the success of the first one. You know, back in '89 into the early '90s, their success, uh, of course, best of the best. Two, they head into the the underground fighting rings. You know, yeah. they go to avenge. Uh, Chris Penn's character, uh, you know, and all that. And and it goes all the way to best of the best three where the character Tommy is on the poster holding a gun. So again, it just keeps evolving from the hand to hand combat and just the simple sportsmanship movie, like you said, in the karate tournament, to best of the best three, no turning back with like, you know, big explosions on the poster. He's riding a motorcycle. Gina Gershon's the love interest. Uh, Good shit. Dude, it's it's pretty amazing with this one
0: that they understood what they could get with like a quality cast and just keeping the ridiculous shit down like as far as the budget goes like we could pull this off as long as we you know because like during the the karate tournament and stuff at the end the crowds basically blacked out so you really don't see much it's like it was shot like in a warehouse somewhere or something like that so but I'm fine with that because it actually gives it like a vibe all of its own so I kind of dig that it's not really offensive again so so like it still managed to work out and like they get what they need from the cast and it surprisingly works well, even though there is it's corny moments and, you know, stuff that would have played well in 89, but people would look at it weird now. Um, But like, ultimately it is, you know, it's just a fun little movie. It's nothing great and it's definitely not terrible. It's paced well, good cast, you know, it basically delivers what you want it to.
1: Yeah. Again, what more can you say uh, from my perspective? It's a personal classic, Uh, you know, throw it in air quotes or whatever you want to do, but for the J and again, for a bunch of my friends growing up in the eighties and nineties, there, best of the best is up there. All right, the J. So for best of the best, let's get a tagline for this bad boy. All right. Best of the best. A team is not a team. If you don't give a damn about each other, damn hey, they're swearing swearing on the tagline. Go ahead. Best of the best.
0: So, as we do here on the show, this one gets a five-star rating scale. I'm going to go with three stars for best of the
1: best. All right. I'm at three and a half. Hey, you.
0: All right. So, hope you guys enjoyed that. Our uh, our Thursday Night Prime segment will be on hiatus for the extended future. It will be back for sure. Don't worry about that. Uh, we got plenty of stuff coming up for you guys for the Halloween season. And as we go into November and stuff like that, we have a few other ideas and things that we're going to do. It It really crams the show up when we have a lot of stuff to do and of course the nfl season always is a big part for us and uh, same thing with dark side of the ring on top of that so we have a lot of content to go uh with already add in the halloween season uh the show is just too jam-packed for thursday night prime but that's okay it will be oh. back so stay tuned everybody uh, we have plenty of of really cool things we want to do in the future at Thursday Night Prime. Yeah, so thank it's God, it's not going anywhere. The
1: J, as we've been discussing, has healed up since multiple attacks and us fighting back. But, uh, you know, I'm still recovering from the ribs. Ribs take a while to heal, Dude. you know, so I'm still healing. So I need it to be on hiatus. And it just reminded me
0: of one thing I wanted to ask you. I put it, I like hit it in my notes here, kind of. Did you know the one? Did you get the one wrestling correlation that kept popping up in this movie? To me, at least. No. The Undertaker's gong.
1: Ah, I didn't even pick up on it,
0: dude. It's in this movie a bunch. It's like something that plays in the soundtrack, right? I'm like,
1: that's. I swear it's the
0: original gong. Like that's where they got it from. I might be wrong. But I, I would love well, to find yeah, out the truth. This is
1: '89. Taker debuted in '90, didn't he? '91, '91. Yeah, '90,
0: yeah. '91. 90, so, yeah, there you go. But just something I thought about. So, oh, yeah. we are going to take our last commercial break, everybody. So, stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and we'll be talking some goofs. So, hang tight, everybody. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Cut and Run Studios is a multimedia facility that specializes in video production and photography. In the internet era, visual communication is the most powerful tool for storytelling. We believe it is our job to deliver the most compelling visual interpretation of a message and provide all the necessary capabilities in-house so that we can cover every angle of your story. Our production facility is at 1532 Beachview Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA, 15216. Check us out at cutandrunstudios.com.
1: Hey everybody! This is Herman James for the What's Real podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Goofs.
0: Welcome back, and it's that time once again. So, the J, what do we got this week on the goof front?
1: Ah, uh, hey Ed, the majestic waterfall of goofs that we've been referencing the last <laughs> few weeks—the new thing on the show because it is just nonstop. Of course, that's why we reference it as if it's like a waterfall, just instead of water goofs no change here on the big 87 the sydney crosby extravaganza in the wrestlemania three correlation extravaganza the what's real podcast we're starting off with some some fights as we do hey you know some more celebrity fights we had mgk versus uh, conor mcgregor whether they were beefing or not we didn't know but now there's some more things going on machine gun kelly's keeping it up man like Dude, spend the time banging, you know, fucking Megan Fox. Like, what are you doing feuding with mugs? But now he's in a, a beef with Slipknot's lead singer, Corey Taylor. I don't know if you heard about their yeah, beef.
0: I did, and I heard that people on fucking Twitter and shit are like, like I guess he thought it was going to get something to get him credibility, but instead it got a ton of people to be like, you're a fucking
1: douche. <laughs> yeah, well, because, I mean, like, here's the thing. With everything that is basically quote unquote time stamped in our lives through social media and technology right now, it's tougher to get away with bullshitting and machine gun Kelly is like stirring up all this stuff. And Corey Taylor for a while took the high road from what I was reading. And then finally just came out with the fact that he put up their actual interactions, which is why I made that point. And basically, basically it all started with MGK. You know, he, I guess he was working with, uh, Travis Barker has been collaborating with like everybody under the sun and they were collaborating on this, like, like what MGK explained, like this really cool song that Corey Taylor was going to do a cameo on, you know, with, with some, some vocals. And I guess MGK had some ideas and sent them through Travis Barker, who was going through Corey Taylor and Corey Taylor respectfully turned down the offer to cameo after his, everything was said. And that turned into this whole beef. Uh, through MGK, like, backlashing at Corey Taylor turning down the cameo, which Corey Taylor just said, like, MGK's notes to what he was, like, expected to do with his vocals, he just didn't agree with, just didn't think it fit him, and he respectfully said, like, best of luck. You know, I don't have it in front of me. I'm just paraphrasing. You know, basically said best of luck to MGK and Travis Barker, and it turned into this whole thing from MGK's backlash from it. Everybody just wants
0: what they want, man. That's just what it comes down to. When they don't get it, then they have no problem just lashing out
1: against people. It's
0: fucking weird.
1: Speaking again, speaking to that, hey, yeah, good segue. You put him up, I knock him down. As Oscar De La Hoya is gunning for a fight with one of the greatest boxers of all time, Floyd Mayweather, telling TMZ Sports he's got hundred $100 million of money if he accepts and he wants to fight this year. Hey, yeah.
0: Well, we'll see that if Floyd needs some money.
1: Exactly, that's what I said. It depends on his <laughs> his most recent betting habits and what's going on there. Uh, you know, De La Hoya is forty eight now. I mean, all that. You know, speaking of backlash, came out with Evander Holyfield stepping in in that last debacle. Dude, uh, that was know, terrible. It's it's just sad, man. Like we we know how fighters get. We've we saw the great Muhammad Ali and how he suffered. I mean, the list goes on and on. Obviously, we were talking in earlier segments about learning from the past, learning from other people's mistakes. Being upfront about it, other people trying to help people out from that knowledge, and, and yeah, it was just very sad. But yeah, uh, De La Hoya was caught coming out. Uh, you know, he just suffered from, as he called it, five days of hell with COVID. Uh, De La Hoya, and uh, yeah, he survived COVID, so now he wants to fight Mayweather. That's twenty twenty one for you.
0: It's weird that these guys either don't
1: have the money or
0: can't just enjoy their money. They gotta do shit that they don't need to do to get more of it. I which, guess.
1: which makes sense for the GRG 87. The next two uh, slots have to deal with buttholes. Hey, eel. And, and, uh, you know, uh, actual yeah. anus is not like people. Now people we're know. getting back to,
0: to our wheelhouse
1: here. Exactly. So I'm not sure if you saw this, I'm sure you did. It was all over Twitter, especially in Pittsburgh as a Steeler fan was pictured. Uh, Hadn't had a, having pooped his pants and he removed them and was washing him in the sink at the stadium.
0: Yeah, that sounds like something you'd see in the stadium.
1: And of course, as uh, Barstool Sports had to poke fun at our glorious city and say more like Schittsburg, which how ooh, can, ooh, how can ooh. we argue there? <laughs> you know, like, that's a literal one. Uh, but the original post uh, it was like this meme had the dude pantless with a Bettis jersey on, which I just thought that was just funny. Just, you know, <laughs> the random jersey, you know, just no pants, socks, and a Bettis jersey, rinsing out his you know poop-filled pants, and the the guy said. Dude. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, how many fucking stories do we have from like the dumb shit that I've seen at stadiums and arenas when I've walked into the restroom through the years? Exactly. And that's basically a lot of them.
1: That's basically with the dudes whose uh, picture he posted and he took a picture of the dude. I've never been happier. Dude pooped his pants and is washing them at in the sink. Steeler football is back. The only thing is he spelled washing waning. So it's like, come on, dude, you know, you're you're making fun of a guy. You're taking pictures of this dude in the fucking bathroom, which is yeah. illegal, by the way. You know, we're not we're yeah. not giving him too many props. It was just too funny to pass up because, I mean, what fits goofs or goofs more than a dude shitting his pants in a Bettis jersey at a, at the Steelers dude, game. Welcome back to... Even speed. if
0: I wanted to take the picture of that dude, like, you know, I walk in, you know, maybe had a few drinks and I'm like, look at this fucking guy. I'd immediately think to myself, This dude shit his pants at a Steeler game and he's here at the stadium trying not to go home and wash the shit out of his own fucking pants himself. I don't need to do anything to fuck this dude's day up anymore. Like I'm good with like, no, I'm just going to go take a piss and get the fuck out of here. I'm just going to completely ignore this dude because he's having the worst day ever. I don't want that shit to rub off on me in any way.
1: Yeah, cut to the fourth quarter where he's like, I stayed in somewhat shit-filled pants for this. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Poor look at the guy. game you had to sit through to fucking not like, dude. I, I could be at the Super Bowl if that happened to me. I'm like, all right, guys, it's been real. I'm out of here. <laughs> Fuck
1: this. I don't know if you caught this one. This was a viral video. I highly recommend anybody listening to to look this up on the, the interwebs. Uh, and it's speaking of pooping buttholes. As a Texas mom used her time at the podium during a school board meeting to rant about sexually explicit content, namely anal sex. Did you see this one? Hey, you. I did not. So this woman goes up at a school board meeting and completely takes them off guard, which, you know, the Jay's sense of humor that that's what got me. Cause it's like not even necessarily the content. It's just like the whole atmosphere. Like the, the people in the score school board are just like, what the fuck? You know, like they just walked in a buzzsaw with this lady. But uh, the woman, yep. she's being identified online as Cara bell attended the meeting, which was supposed to be about COVID, and then just brings up concerns about a book that her middle school students and and specifically her children, I believe, uh, were were supposed to read. And according to the uh, Bell, the book titled "Out of Darkness" by Ashley Hope Perez features a section about anal sex, which she feels highly inappropriate. But the thing is. It's that irony where she's coming in here talking about something highly, highly inappropriate and then just does something highly fucking inappropriate. Uh, she, yeah. t- she tells the board, quote, I do not want my children to learn about anal sex in middle school. I've never had anal sex. I don't want to have anal sex. I don't want kids having anal sex. I want you to start f- focusing on education and not public health. Uh, she went on to say that there was a term, cornhole in the book and that she had to look up what cornhole meant. Oh my God. You. Talk about a shit show. Literally, literally coming off of previous shit show. Oh, it just never
0: ends with fucking people and their weird shit.
1: Rounding out Goose or Goose 87. uh, This one had me dying. Well, there's two quick things. Uh, The first one was the viral video of the week, which I sent you another one. I highly recommend everybody watching to check out. Uh, It's just posted as please watch this fuckery. But these dudes did a prank video at a gym where they're dressed like traditional robbers. They're like in all black with, uh, you know, the black ski mask and gloves and they're working out doing like robber what robbers would do to exercise (laughs) like they're creeping up the elliptical, like the Stairmaster, like like creeping. They're like holding bags with uh, dollar signs on them doing tricep curls. So, yeah, you got to check that one out. That was our viral <laughs> video of the week. Uh, like like uh, Snow at DylanX Gray said on Twitter, them creeping up the Stairmaster got me crying. And, and it had the J crying as well. That's why we had to shout him out on GRG. And this is a banger to round things out. Hey, Ed, short and simple. Uber facts on Twitter. A man from Ohio named Thomas Earl was once fired, mauled by a bear, and shot by the police all on the same day.
0: Yep. <laughs> this fucking guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. she, he, and he. Meanwhile, when you see the picture of him, you're like, yeah, I believe that. Exactly. Exactly. But as I say to my bro from another Mo between fights between De La Hoya after his COVID offering to fight Mayweather for 100 million to our boy kills still challenging everybody, including Slipknot's Corey Taylor to a Texas mom ripping about anal sex to the school board when it's supposed to be about COVID to a Steeler game pooper and Thomas Earl having maybe the worst day ever. Goofs are goofs. So that's about it for us this week on episode
0: 87. Hope you guys enjoyed the show this week. Uh, Of course, as we do here on the show, uh, if you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. It helps get more eyes and ears on the program. And you can listen to us on all your favorite podcasting platforms weekly, such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. If you have anything you'd like to send to us at the show, you could do so through email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that is what's real pod at gmail.com. But before we get out of here, I hear the J revving it up. So the J take it away.
1: Revening it up like the J shit himself at the Steeler game. Hey, you know, cleaning <laughs> that shit out. I'd be proud online. I'd have a what's real t-shirt on to help get us some publicity there. But yeah, I love the show. As I always must state shout out, as we always have to do for our man, our producer, the wizard behind the boards. Great job, Cam, as always. Keep it up. Got to get that shout-out in there, that 18K crystal clear sound every week on the WR question mark the show of shows. Hey, it's another one in the books. This might uh, be our record breaker of our longest show. Cause like you said, folks, if you're you're on the ride for us and you're hearing my voice right now, we love you. We appreciate it and sit down, strap in and shut the fuck up because you guys are going for a ride in uh, October here. We're going to have a blast. And hopefully, as we say, you're Steve McQueen in it with us, the great escape from crazy reality or as crazy as reality can be. But yeah, love the show. Appreciate you all. And I'm not even making up words this week. Hey, I'm just going to be simple and sign off. You'll hear the J next week.
0: All right. So uh, obviously shout out to cam our producer for all the hard work he puts in making us sound good each and every week. And as we know, nobody beats the whiz obviously to you the jay thanks for sitting down with me as we do here on the show each and every week there's nobody else i'd rather do it with brother so thank you all for listening it's been a real one it's been episode 87 thank you so much for joining us don't forget to join us next week for episode 88 and beyond so stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you right here next week on what's real podcast
1: what's real?